SFGov, we're going to go live. Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Planning Commission hearing for Thursday, January 25th, 2024. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes. When you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. When the item you're interested in uh, is called, we ask that you line up on the screen side of the room or to your right. Please speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. Finally, I'll ask that we silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. At this time, I'll take roll. Commission Chair Moore. Commissioner Braun? Here. Commissioner Imperial? Here. Commissioner Koppel? Here. And Commissioner Ruiz? Here. We expect Commission President Diamond to be absent today, and Commission, former Commissioner Tanner has resigned from her post. I'm sure we'll hear about that more later. First on your agenda, Commissioners, is consideration of items proposed for continuance, items 1A and B. For case numbers 2023-004909 DRP and VAR, at 1336 Shotwell Street, discretionary review and variance are proposed for continuance to March 7th, 2024. Item two, case number 2023-002996 CUA at 807 through 809 Vermont Street, conditional use authorization is proposed for continuance to March 7th, 2024. Item three, case number 2022-006831 DRM at 619 Marina Boulevard, discretionary review is proposed for continuance to April 4th, 2024. Item four, case number 2020-010990 DRP at 2536 California Street, discretionary review has been withdrawn. Further commissioners, under commission matters, uh, we inadvertently added remote public comment, item 12 on this calendar as opposed to next week. Uh, and so we will propose to continue that matter to next week's hearing. Um, and under your discretionary review calendar, for items 18A and B for case numbers 2022-009794 DRP and VAR at 1153 Guerrero Street is being proposed for continuance to February 29th, 2024. With that, we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on any of the items being proposed for continuance only on the matter of continuance. Again, you need to simply come forward. <coughs> Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, public comment on your continuance calendar is closed, and it is now before you. Uh, Secretary Ionen, I just checked the email, and I think you announced it would be February 24th for Guerrero. Uh, I may have mistyped because we're our hearing in February, our last hearing in February is February 29th. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Imperial? Move to continue all items as proposed. Second. Thank you, Commissioners. On that motion to continue items as proposed, Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. And Commission Chair Moore? Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously five to zero. Um, and uh, on the variance, Liz Waddy, Director of Current Planning, serving as Acting Zoning Administrator, I also continue item 18B to February 29th. As well as item 1B. 
and 1B. Thank you. To March 7th. Thank you, Acting Zoning Administrator. Commissioners, that will place us under your consent calendar. All matters listed here under constituted consent calendar are considered to be routine by the Planning Commission and may be acted upon by a single roll call vote. There will be no separate discussion of these items unless a member of the Commission, the public, or staff so requests, in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent calendar and considered as a separate item at this or a future hearing. Item 5, case number 2019-014146-CTZ at 520 John Muir Drive, Coastal Zone Permit, Item 6, case number 2023-010498-CU8, 1075 Market Street, Unit 605, Item 7, case number 2023-011439-CU8, at 16 Jesse Street, Unit 410, Conditional Use Authorization, Item 8, case number 2023-007870-CU8, 38 2024th Street, Conditional Use Authorization. Ms. Boken, I see that you're present and I believe you're requesting item five to be removed from the consent calendar. That is correct. Eileen Boken with Speak requesting that the commission sever item number five for 520 John Muir Drive from the consent calendar. To Ms. Boken, we'll, that's okay. sufficient. We'll take it up at the beginning of the regular calendar. Yes. Very good, so Please. it'll be first on the regular calendar. Um, item five has been removed, but we should also take public comment on the remaining items on consent. If anyone wishes to remove any of those items from consent, seeing none, public comment on your consent calendar is closed. So with exception to item five, commissioners, your consent calendar is now before you. Uh, Commissioner Brown? Move to approve items six, seven, and eight. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to approve items six, seven, and eight on consent. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. And Commission Chair Moore? Aye. So moved, commissioners, that motion passes unanimously five to zero. And will place us under commission matters, item nine, the land acknowledgement. Um, Commissioner Imperial, please. Yes. The Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of, of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. Item 10, consideration of adoption draft minutes for January 11th, 2024. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the Commission on their minutes. Seeing no one coming forward, public comment is closed and your minutes are now before you. Commissioner Imperial. Move to adopt the minutes. Second. Thank you, Commissioners. On that motion to adopt your minutes, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. And Commission Chair Moore. Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously five to zero, placing us on item 11, Commission comments and questions. We have an unusual event today, and it's actually, for me sitting here, not the most joyous one, but one for somebody else. It is Commissioner Tanner, uh, as of last week, President Tanner, leaving us. 
and I would like her to take this opportunity under commission comments in recognition of her contributions and as a colleague to make uh, comments that perhaps normally would appear under public comments, but we want to just basically honor her to make these comments today. Thank you, Vice President Moore, and thank you all for letting me have a few moments to just talk with you and share a little bit about um, my journey to this point and the new role that I'll be having, and also to primarily share a lot of thanks and gratitude for all of you and for the department. Um, as many of you know, and as uh, Secretary Yonan said, I have um, resigned from the commission in order to take a position as the director of citywide planning for the planning department here in San Francisco. And you know, it's something that um, I can't say I, I thought that I would be in this position if you'd asked me a year or a year and a half ago, I would have said no way. Um, I do remember when Anne Marie came here and told us that she was leaving, it was like a lot of bittersweetness. I was like, oh my gosh, she's leaving. I was very happy to hear she's going to Treasure Island, so not very far, and a project that will help us meet our renal goals, so very exciting to hear that. But I had this twinge of intuition also like, oh, you know, there's gonna be an opening, maybe I should apply for this job when it opens, which I fought this little twinge of intuition tooth and nail for a long time. I think until the last day that the applications were due, in fact. And I had just left uh, probably a year or in some change before then, my job as the Assistant Director of Planning and Development Services for the city of Palo Alto. And I had said, you know, never going back. I'm gonna work for myself. Like there's no, nothing like it, like so much freedom, blah, 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 all exciting. And it reminded me of another never say never moment that I had 10 years earlier. When I finished my grad school in planning, I said, I'm never moving to California and I'm never working in government which are the first two things I did simultaneously. Moved to California, moved to Long Beach, working for the city of Long Beach. And um, I should have learned my lesson then to never say never, but it looks like I didn't. Um, and the first thing I remember a couple months after working for the city of Long Beach for a while, I called my friend, my classmate, Christine Carella, and I said, wow, this is really great. She was working for the city of New York and had worked in local government. I said, I actually, you know, I thought it was gonna be so boring and like really just kind of like lame working for government, but we we're actually really doing a lot of really cool stuff. And she said to me, she said, yeah, government, local government, we put the rubber on the road. Like we do things for cities and for communities and we make things happen. And I've always um, taken that with me. So I hope to take that sense of service and duty into this next role um, as a planner and a practitioner being on this commission with our city going through all the challenges that it's going through. I just couldn't sit on the sidelines, not that the commission is a sidelines, but professionally, I couldn't hold back like wanting to roll up my sleeves and get even more engaged in helping to tackle the challenges that we have. So I'm really grateful that I have the perspective of serving on the commission, but now I can take, um, take my skills, hopefully, and use them in a different way um, and really help to, um, to tackle the challenges that you all see in here and are working on as well. So I just want to do a few thanks. First, thanks to Mayor Breed for nominating me to um, the, the Planning Commission. I um, really thank for her support and for the Board of, of Supervisors who supported my nomination and allowed me to serve um, this last term, my first term in this term. I want to also thank Joshua Switsky, who's been in the role of acting director of Citywide in the division and really excited to have his skills and his great technical expertise and all his knowledge and his true dedication, not only to the department, but really to San Francisco as a place. Um, and we really are so lucky to have him. I want to thank Rich, of course, Director Hillis. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And I hope that um, it is as pleasurable to work with you as it has been to be uh, next to you as a planning commissioner on the dais. 
And then to the commissioners, of course, first to Vice President Moore, you are such a treasure to our commission, not just because of your tenure, but honestly, you have a really great memory. I can barely remember what we did last week, and you remember cases from years ago and helped to remind us and us newer commissioners of the history and the legacy of things and how we really need to not just look at one project, but look at how we're developing the city overall, project by project. And I thank you for your incredible skills as an architect. I'm not a designer. Um, and for the high standards that you hold this commission to in our city too. To Commissioner Koppel, thank you for reminding us that physical buildings are actual real places that people work and they're built by real men and women, hopefully men and women who live and work in San Francisco and have gone through our training programs. So it reminds me also, I think we might be due an update on the San Bruno project. So not sure when we wanna bring that back to commission, but uh, we wanna make sure all our folks are safe um, in the homes that they're in. Commissioner Imperial, I wanna thank you for always speaking up for asking the tough questions and for in particular being concerned about the people who are living inside of our buildings and making sure that they are always protected and you have that sense of really how the system works so you can really help shed light for some of us who may not know all of the ins and outs of tenancy and housing um, on what happens and how we should be addressing projects. Ms. To Commissioner Stanley, Rees, you have 60 um, seconds. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I only have two more things. Two more things. Uh, well, there's like three more things. Commissioner Rees, you are one of our few, I think, born and raised commissioners here. Um, and just that's so, so valuable. You're so brilliant, so bright. You have a great um, current practice of serving the city in many ways. And I hope you continue to do that um, long into the future. And Commissioner Braun, I think you might be, no offense to anybody else, one of our most planning nerd commissioners, which is really great. I mean, when you said you visited every popo just for fun and the way that you bike around the city and you really experience a lot of the things that we're doing at the commission. I really um, admire that and hope to emulate that. Of course, as commission secretary and all the staff, thank you for helping us run these wonderful hearings um, and all the work that goes in the background. Also to the city attorneys, um, Attorney Jensen on Yang and also all the land use team, thanks for giving us advice and trying to steer us in the right direction, even if sometimes we don't always listen to what you say. Um, we do appreciate it nonetheless. So with that, I won't be far. You know how to get a hold of me and you may be hearing from me more frequently now in this new role than you did when I was uh, one of a commissioner uh, with you. So again, thank you, uh, Vice President Moore, for this time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank you also for acknowledging all of us. Much appreciated. And we will continue with commissioner comments. Uh, I'd like to start today uh, being bombarded with uh, letters and newspaper articles about uh, the uh, state density bonus and upzoning uh, pros and cons, cons and pros. Uh, I would like to share a couple of thoughts with you. Because looking back, I was starting to reflect on what, is, what are really objective standards for the city. And the first thing that came to mind is actually Lawrence Cornfield, who was the original seismic, uh, the, the city administrator for seismic safety. And I want to make sure, as we are co considering upzoning and taller buildings, that we are aware of many guidelines which we currently are using for exemptions and concessions, that these guidelines are actually based in significant, in significant science about seismic safety. And the uh, particular guideline I want to address is tower separation. Tower separation started originally with creating light and air and leaving a lot of sky visible as the city was going from a low medium rise city into a taller high rise city. However, that was superseded after Loma Prieta when seismic safety and seismic st uh, safety standards started to be really tightened up, including the fact that tower separation is an extremely important element 
to keeping towers from swaying into each other during an earthquake. <coughs> and I would like the department to make a note that I believe that many of other standards uh, are anchored in life safety. The second uh, thing I would like to talk about is involving the fire marshal in discussion about building height and building use relative to height. Office buildings are tall buildings occupied during the day. Tall residential buildings are an altogether separate matter because they are occupied partially during the day but mostly during sleeping and rest hours. And empirical earthquake science has shown that the majority of earthquakes happen during night hours. And that brings with it the issue of safe building exiting. And the taller the building, particularly if you wake up in the middle of the night and be asked to leave the building, there is no elevator, but you'll be basically running in your pajamas or whatever you are wearing or not wearing down the stairs to get to safety. And there are many practitioners who actually question that residential buildings above a certain height are safe. I'm not an expert on the subject matter, but have been involved in sufficiently enough discussions to be concerned about it. So what I'm asking the department, one, use those standards, which have been developed with a lot of technical and on-site knowledge in the city. And there are plenty of experts in fire safety, building safety, and seismic safety around to help you stand strong on objective standards and what are really objective standards and life safety are. So those are my comments for the day. I'd like to hang that out for anybody to comment on independently in writing to the department, but I'd like to toss it out as a bigger discussion as we are being further constrained in having to give up, uh, give up standards that have shaped the city in the way it is. Thank you, and I'm calling on uh, Commissioner Imperial for the next round of comments. Thank you, Vice President Moore. I actually want to extend um, my congratulations and want to make um, a professional and personal comment to, to um, former President Tanner. Um, first, I would like to um, congratulate you in this role as a citywide director of planning. Um, this has been actually also a big concern when we have uh, this position has been um, you know, vacated, and I think you are a perfect candidate for this um, role as well, um, and, and I'm glad that you took on this position. Um, also, I will definitely miss your leadership in this commission as the board president and also as the commissioner itself. Um, I think you have greatly contributed in, the, in our commission in terms of the of the issues that are very complicated, and I think you, you know, we, I mean, we have all very challenging um, positions in here in terms of balancing different perspectives. Um, so I just want to extend that to you as a public comment, and also um, I would like to, he, uh, you know, work with you in, you know, and see you here still in the um, in the planning department in the commission. So congratulate you. Congratulations. And for Commissioner Moore, in terms of the, the, you know, the comments that you have provided, I think those are very sound. And I'm looking forward if there's going to be sub, some form of subcommittees that we can form in so that those kind of um, you know, um, um, projects or, I guess, ideas that we're working on in the commission be really implemented and be really um, pushed into the departments. I think 
Yes, and I've also been getting a lot of comments in terms of the um, concern on the west side upzoning process, um, and of course, it's going to be part of the you know of the process as we go through here, as that's going to be part of a big project for this year as well. Um, so, um, so yeah, I probably we will. Pro I will have to connect with you in terms of like how we can work in terms of the subcommittees or. Uh, I, I would definitely like to involve President um, Diamond in that, and I'm sure she would be very open. She had mentioned it before, so we can pick that up again next week under Commissioner's comment, and I would like everybody also to opine on that. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Brown. Yes, uh, I just wanted to also extend my thanks and my congratulations to former Commissioner Tanner. Um, you know, I think uh, we're all going to really miss your incisive analysis and your, your fair approach, especially when, um, as president of the commission. Um, you know, I was thinking about what you just said, and I'm now thinking if we ever need some sort of massive problem solve, you should say, I'll never, I'll never try to address that, because apparently <laughs> it's exactly what you're going to end up doing. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I've had the privilege of working with Ms. Tanner, um, also in the role of a consultant to um, U.S. staff at the city of Palo Alto, and um, I know that you do amazing work, and I was really um, impressed and uh, appreciated your, um, your work on those projects together. And there are plenty of people in the planning department who, you know, who might have been in the department longer who also worked with you. And, and so it's exciting to have you back on staff in San Francisco, and I'm really excited to now, uh, in a way, work with you in a third sort of role across from each other. So, but, but congratulations, and, and thanks so much. Uh, Commissioner Koppel? Well, as bummed as I am for the loss, uh, it <laughs> brings back a similar phone call I received a number of years ago from a then-commissioner, Rich Hillis. So I got the phone call. He was leaving uh, equally as bummed then, but then, uh, you know, um, heard he was applying for the director's spot. So uh, Rich's example, and then also Rodney Fong, who was here for a number of years and left to just stay here in the city, taking over the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, glad to see you are staying here and staying close uh, so we can still lean on you for your uh, your uh, exceptional knowledge in just the whole land use and construction landscape. Thanks again. Commissioner Lewis. Yeah, I just want to follow in the congratulations and say that I started working with um, Commissioner, former Commissioner Tanner when I was doing organizing in the Tenderloin, and there was some, um, you know, concerns around specific land use changes in that neighborhood, and that was, you know, one of my, I wouldn't say first, but probably, you know, biggest experiences working on land use issues and communicating with commissioners, and um, Commissioner Tanner had such a welcoming and also just caring concern to really learn about, you know, what the community, you know, wants to see and what their priorities are. And so I just very much appreciated that. And then, you know, when I came onto the commission, I just really took um, notice of your leadership and how you truly listen to the comments that are said during commission, which I think is incredibly important. You really make people feel heard and it really shows in the comments that you've made. Um, and I just hope that I could be half the commissioner that you were <laughs> on on this commission. So thank you. And I think you know, you're also perfect for the position and I can't wait to see what you'll accomplish. Is there no other commissioner comments? Uh, we can move on. 
Very good, commissioners. That'll place us under department matters as item 12 for the remote public comment was continued one week. Uh, item 13, director's announcements. Great, thank you, commissioners. Thank you, President Tanner, and now uh, Director Tanner. We we share your excitement. I mean, your your you know regret that she's leaving the commission and the thoughtfulness and in, in leadership you brought to this commission, but excited to to have that as part of our staff team. Instead of six hours a week, we kind of get it 40 hours a week, so that's exciting. Um, <laughs> Because she really does bring everything, leadership, thoughtfulness, how she works with the community, technical knowledge. It's really, it's really everything. So um, we are very excited at, at the staff level. And I just wanted to also thank Josh Switsky and our citywide team who've really kind of made this transition seamless after Anne-Marie left. I mean, you've seen them here talking about the, the rezoning, but on sea level rise and in, in transportation element and other issues, you know, we continue to advance that work, and uh, Rachel will will do, will do the same. So we're so we're excited about that. Just a note on the I know the rezoning came up, um, and we will be before you next week. We've got an informational hearing, so Commissioner Moore, happy to kind of dive deeper into some of the questions you had. We'll have a follow up also in February, so we we expect to have two informational hearings in February on the rezoning proposal, so we can get get into depth on those, um, likely another informational and or a kind of a approval hearing in March, but that's to be determined. We wanna get through those those hearings in February and get your feedback and the public's feedback. So looking forward to more discussion on that. Thank you. Thank you. There's nothing further, commissioners. Item 14, review of past events at the Board of Supervisors, Board of Appeals. There was no Historic Preservation Commission hearing yesterday. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs. This week, the Land Use Committee considered the Commission's Code Corrections Ordinance. Uh, you passed this ordinance last year on September 28th. As you probably recall, the Code Corrections Ordinance is intended to correct errors in the code that usually come about from previous ordinances. Uh, this ordinance will fix issues like grammatical errors, unintended cross-references, and accidental additions and deletions that undermine the legitimacy and enforceability of the planning code. During the hearing, planning staff informed that um, the committee members that amendments are required um, to the proposed ordinance because of more recent changes to the code. Um, however, those amendments were not yet drafted to form. After going over the types of amendments we intended to introduce, staff asked the uh, committee to continue the item for one week so that the amendments would, could be drafted. Uh, there was no public comment and then the committee voted to continue the item for one week. Next, the committee considered another item you voted on um, that you voted to pass on September 28th of last year, uh, the state ADU ordinance um, sponsored by the mayor. As a reminder, this round of ADU legislation is to make our code consistent with state law. This covers new bills which were uh, effective beginning January 1st of 2023. There will be another ordinance to bring the code into compliance with changes that were effective of January 1st, 2024. Um, it also gives the ADU program a new section in the code and responds to comments provided by HCD. During the hearing, hearing Supervisor Peskin inquired if other bills effective uh, January 1st, 2024 could be incorporated into this legislation. He also asked additional amendments be included, including retaining the existing noticing requirements and expanding the historic resource protections to include all known historic resources. Lastly, Peskin emphasized wanting to make future legislation support more rent controlled units under our local ADU program. 
Uh, Supervisor Melgar had questions about the review timeline for lo the local ADU program and how it compared with the uh, program for um, the state legislation timeline. Uh, during public comment, Ryan Patterson, representing us in my backyard, expressed concerns about the reduction in allowable square footage for ADUs, stating he believed it was contrary to SB 330. After public comment, the committee continued the item for two weeks to February 5th. Next, the committee considered one of the duplicated versions of the Constraints Reduction Ordinance. The, propo uh, the purpose of this ordinance um, is to amend the language in Section 311 to respond to recent state legislation and to possibly add 311 notification requirements to Chinatown. There were several amendments that needed to be um, added to this ordinance, both from the department and Supervisor Peskin's office. As the amendments were not yet drafted, um, and it wasn't clear whether adding Section 311 notification to Chinatown was what the community wanted, the item was continued to the call of the chair. Um, it's anticipated that it will be back in two weeks. At the full board this week, the landmark designation for the Westwood Park entrance uh, gateways and pillars sponsored by Supervisor Melgar passed its first read on a 10 to 1 vote with Supervisor Preston voting no. And we had an appeal of an environmental determination for a project at 2395 Sacramento Street, and that was continued to February 6th. And that's all I have for you today. Thanks. I don't see the zoning administrator and I did not receive a report from him, so I'm assuming there is no report from the Board of Appeals. And if there are no questions, commissioners, we can move on to general public. I, I, I have a question. Would you remind us, please, what 2395 Sacramento Street was? It, the number doesn't, at, at the moment, doesn't ring a bell. I can chime in. It was the, um, I forget the technical name, but it, it, it was previously used as a library. At one point in time, it was part of the CPMC Pacific Campus. It was sold Franklin, off. Franklin. Uh, it is on the corner of Sacramento and Webster. Near CPMC. Yeah, across the street from Near CPMC. Near the former CPMC. Oh, okay. Yeah. It didn't and, come to us, though. It went to HPC. Oh, okay. Because it was CFA. Okay. Thanks. Okay, if there's nothing further, commissioners, we can move on to we can move on to general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Uh, when the number of speakers exceed the 15-minute limit, general public comment may be moved to the end of the agenda. Eileen Bilkin with Speak. On January 18th, That's there was an affordable comment. housing event at the County Fair building in Golden Gate Park. Panelists were Senator Weiner, Supervisor Engardio, Supervisor Stephanie, and Director Hillis. Earlier that day, Senator Weiner had introduced SB uh, 951, whose title is uh, California Coastal Act of 1976, Coastal Zone, City and County of San Francisco. Supervisor in Guardi's office has stated that he was unaware prior to the town hall that SB 951 had been introduced. Uh, Supervisor Stephanie's office appears unwilling to comment, as does the planning department senior staff. Uh, SB uh, 951 press release was posted the very next day on January 19th. Media coverage of SB 951 stated that it is sponsored by the city and county of San Francisco. In Sacramento, if a bill is sponsored by an interested group, it typically indicates that the interest group actually drafted the legislation. 
Uh, this begs the question, how was this legislation drafted? And was it in response to coastal zone issues with the United Irish Cultural Center? Or was it the result of the apparent bullying at the Coastal Commission meeting on December 14th when Senator Weiner and his allies apparently tried to intimidate the Coastal Commission on housing issues? In the end, the Coastal Commission did not bend the knee and did not kiss the ring. So is SB 951 a response to this obvious lack of success? And finally, SB 951 would lay the groundwork for Ocean Beach to become Miami Beach. Thank you. Any additional general comments? Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, Tom Radulovich with Livable City. And, um, uh, congratulations also to uh, Director Tanner. Um, uh, I've got some ideas uh, about what she might do. Um, yeah, I wanted to, to return to this theme of, of why the planning department should plan the city uh, and talk about neighborhood planning. Um, I'm old enough, and I think a few of you are, uh, Josh was here too, uh, to remember uh, the last round of neighborhood plans that we did, Eastern Neighborhoods and Better Neighborhoods. I mean, I would call them uh, successful. I mean, there was a lot of engagement. They took a long time. It was a big investment. Um, but as somebody who lived in one of those communities, I can say, yeah, it's like planning the city is great, working um, in a comprehensive way, really looking at land use, transportation, public space, open space, all of these issues together uh, is the way you should be doing it. We commented on this in the general plan. I, I think the general plan housing element has a strong racial justice uh, uh, emphasis. There was a lot of talk of harms that were done, especially around urban renewal redevelopment, right? So that, like, that was a big, nasty period in our history. Um, that was a different department. It was many years ago, but the harms remain. And, and I, I kind of wanted to talk about the, where I think the real failure happened, or, or one of the real failures happened, which was to kind of heal that or follow up on that. And I'm talking about the dissolution of redevelopment. Uh, which happened about uh, 15 years ago now. And uh, the way that we kind of let a lot of the communities down, the communities have been most harmed by redevelopment. One of them is the Western Edition. I feel like you owe the Western Edition a plan. Um, you know, there have been a few false starts. The Japantown plan had a larger area and it shrank down to a nine block area. Uh, but uh, that community has really been torn apart. We work with that community a lot. Um, you, they deserve to have a long-term conversation about things like, you know, we do have this ability, for example, to keep farming tax increment and rebuild housing that was demolished as redevelopment. Where should that housing go? For whom? You know, could we bring people back who were displaced years ago? Now, every year we faff around, there's fewer and fewer of those people. Uh, but that's a conversation the community ought to be able to have. Uh, I know that they're not part of your housing element geography, so that's fine. We shouldn't expect a lot in terms of housing creation. I think we'll get some if you have a good conversation, and it'll be the affordable housing that the community needs. But uh, that, was, that equity, there were, that equity priority geographies and the, the west side geography of the housing element shouldn't turn into the next excuse for not planning with these neighborhoods. They deserve a plan. The other is the Bayview. I mean, there were a complicated redevelopment plan. There's actually a Bayview element uh, in the general plan. The zoning was never redone. So you've been throwing zoning at that neighborhood um, to, to you know, deal with some patches, the you know, dissolution of uh, Bayview Industrial Triangle. Uh, there was a little bit of a zoning done. We've had some conversations with folks on the new CAC. The CACs were mostly disbanded, but some have been renewed. They're really curious to have a conversation about retail commercial controls, you know, looking at what was in the general plan, making sure it's still up to date. Um, you should offer to have those conversations with those neighborhoods. Please revive general planning for equity reasons. Thank you. Thank you. 
Last call for general public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, general public comment is closed. We can move on to your regular calendar, commissioners. Item five on the consent calendar has been pulled off and will be heard now for case number 2019-014146 CTZ at 520 John Muir Drive, Coastal Zone Permit. Good afternoon, Commissioners, Kurt Boat and Planning Department staff. The project before you today is a request for a San Francisco Public Utilities Commission for the approval of a coastal zone permit. The project is for demolition of seven one-story recreational structures and soil remediation for contaminated soils around four existing shooting fields on an approximately 11-acre site that was previously operated by the Pacific Rod and Gun, Gun Club as a skeet and trap shooting facilities from 1934 to 2015. The project is the beginning of a phase project for a future recreational facility at the subject site. All phases of the project are covered under the environmental impact report for the Lake Merced West project that was certified by the San Francisco Planning Commission in January 2023. The coastal zone permit being sought is only to allow the site cleanup of contaminated soils and the removal of recreational structures that are no longer in use. Development of the new recreational facility cannot be started until the hazardous materials and contaminated soils are removed from the site. The project falls within the coastal zone permit area and is subject to coastal zone permit review by the Planning Commission. The department finds the coastal zone permit to be consistent with the city's local coastal program, including the Western Shoreline Area Plan, the city's public zoning district controls, and furthermore, the department finds the project to be on balance and consistent with the general plan and recommends recommends approval with conditions. That concludes my presentation. I'm available for questions. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to PUC staff. Thank you. Hello, commissioners. Uh, my name is Karen Lancel uh, with Environmental Science Associates. And today I'm presenting on behalf of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, um, which is the sponsor for phase one of this project. I'm just gonna put up a few slides. Uh, as Kurt mentioned, uh, the site along Lake Merced was used for many years by the Pacific Rod and Gun Club. Targets and shot used at the club resulted in soil contamination at the site. The club vacated the site in 2015 and initial soil remediation was completed in 2016. Selected buildings and skeet fields used by the club which were determined eligible for listing in the California and National Registers as a historic cultural landscape remain on site and were not permanently removed during the initial soil remediation. The proposed action under review today uh, is demolition of the remaining buildings, uh, as well as demolition of three of four skeet fields, uh, followed by remediation of the remaining contaminated soil that's near the buildings on the site. This slide shows the existing site and highlights the buildings and skeet fields to be removed. Uh, those are shown in blue. 
As you can see, Skeet Field 4, which is in the upper left, uh, it's a semicircular shape that's not blue, uh, would remain. The gray areas around the buildings illustrate areas where soil remediation would occur. Approximately 4,800 cubic yards of soil would be removed during remediation. To remediate soil around the barbecue shed, which is a small structure shown here in the upper right of the site, four eucalyptus trees would be removed. Demolition and subsequent remediation would last approximately three months. The SFPUC anticipates completing the work in late summer 2024. As noted, four trees would be removed to facilitate remediation, uh, consistent with the requirements of the soil management plan uh, for remediation that was approved by the Regional Water Quality Control Board. Erosion controls would be implemented once remediation is complete. Once those erosion controls are in place, phase one would be complete. The site has been closed to the public since 2014 and would remain closed after phase one is done. No new structures are proposed as part of phase one. Uh, phase one is required prior to any future redevelopment of the site, um, and that future redevelopment would require additional review and approvals by the city. This concludes my presentation. I'm available for questions from the commission. Very good, thank you. We should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this item. Eileen mm. um, Bogan with Speak. To be clear, Speak fully supports the remediation. It's unclear why this item is even on consent or was on consent as the approval for the EIR is under California Public Resources Code 21000, while the coastal zone approvals are under California Public Resources Code 30108.6, In addition uh, to this, there is uh, inaccuracies in the project description. The project description states, and I quote, the project does not propose any new structures or change of use at the project site, unquote. This is accurate only for the PUC phase and not the entire project, which includes the Reckon Park phase. There are inaccuracies as well in the coastal zone permit language. In the planning code compliance text in section six, page six, it states erroneously that, and I quote, the local coastal program shall be the Western Shoreline Area Plan, unquote, end quote. The Western Shoreline Area Plan is only one of four components of the local coastal program. The local, uh, uh, the coastal zone permit being proposed is inconsistent with the current local coastal program. Thank you. Okay, last call for public comment. Seeing no additional request to speak, public comment is closed. This matter is now before you, commissioners. Uh, Commission Puyo. Um, I, I, yeah, um, thank you for the public comment on this. Um, I'd like to hear the planning staff in any of their, what we received from the public um, in terms of the inaccuracies of the description. But as far as I know, this is aligned with the Lake Merced project and the CEQA. Um, yes, I wasn't entirely tracking all the um, government code citations there, but I think at, at um, a high level, this is the first phase mm -hmm. of a project that this commission has already seen um, and approved the final EIR. Um, and so this is the first step. 
Um, projects are allowed to be parsed into phases, and this is the first phase that needs to incur before the recreational facility can be built. Thank you for that. Um, I do not see any issue with approving this um, coastal zone permit, so I'll make a motion to approve. Second. Commissioner Koppel, do you have a question? The only thing I would like to ask is that if there were errors in the writing, and I don't have the original or the exact writing of what's being referenced in front of me, I would like to make sure that any ambiguity in those comments which pointed towards how, it, the, how the project and the process was depicted is being accurately uh, depicted. Uh, I do not recall the details of the future phases. We supported the development of the future phases. I was not really quite aware of the demolition of the clubhouse because one of the positions we took is that at least uh, a certain number of buildings should be retained if it's technically feasible. Uh, again, I have not seen an update on that particular thing, so I only realize what is in front of us from PUC and public comment, and there's a certain open question, but in general, I believe if you tighten up those errors, I would appreciate that. Call the question, please. Very good, commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to approve with conditions on that motion, Commissioner Braun. Aye. Commissioner Ruiz. Aye. Commissioner Imperial. Aye. Commissioner Koppel. Aye. And Commissioner Chair Moore. Aye. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously five to zero. Commissioners, that'll place us on item 15 for case number 2023-010074-CRV for fiscal years 2024 through 2026 proposed department budget and work program. This is an informational presentation. Hello everyone, um, my name is Katie Lay and I am the Budget and Grants Analyst at the Planning Department. And I'm joined today by our department's division directors. So before I really delve into the presentation today, I just wanna preface that the budget discussed today will continue to change throughout the coming weeks and will continue to be adjusted until the Board of Supervisors pass the budget for the next two fiscal years in late July. So to give you an idea of what we'll be covering today, we'll start with an overview and some updates from the mayor's office. Then we'll delve into some background and highlights from our department, and then we'll look at the volume trend, revenue, expenditures, the work program, and then we'll end with our calendar and what to expect next. The next three slides are from the controller and mayor's office's budget kickoff meeting, which they held back in December 2023, where the mayor's office released budget instructions for fiscal years 24 to 26. And the instructions that they shared with us included the need to prioritize improving public safety and street conditions, citywide economic vitality, reducing homelessness and transforming mental health services, and accountability and equity in services and spending. So as an overview, they shared that the rate of expenditure growth is far outpacing the city's general fund revenues, which is creating a $245 million deficit in fiscal years 24 to 25, and a $554 million deficit in fiscal years 25 to 26, with worsening deficits in the coming years. And because of this, they asked departments to reduce the general fund by 10% in each fiscal year. The mayor's office projected that the city's general fund will have a deficit of 799 million over the next two fiscal years. And for, for reference, last year's two-year projection was a deficit of 728 million. 
Some reasons behind this deficit projection include high office vacancies, increased litigation costs from business tax disputes, slower than anticipated recovery in, in the hospitality industry, reduced local and state sales tax, and one-time FEMA and fund balance budgets. For some background and highlights into our own department, for economic cycles, we have seen a softening in volume and revenue since 2018 and continue to do so, as well as less revenue compared to previous years. And in terms of revenue, we reduced our general fund by uh, 920K as instructed by the mayor's office, and we reduced our fee revenue by $3 million. And as I mentioned earlier, the mayor's office projects a citywide deficit of 799 million in the budget and out year. And the need to prioritize citywide economic vitality and accountability and equity in services and spending. The majority of the planning department's budget is based on fee revenue projections, and in order to project fees, we look at historical volume trends. The graph here shows the actual building permit and case volume trend from fiscal year 2014 to 2015 through 2022 to 2023, and the projected volume for fiscal years 2023 to 2024. And as we can see, volume is projected to be just slightly lower than what it was last year. Looking at revenue, the department proposes to reduce fees by approximately $3 million in the operating fund from the current year. And this consists of reducing revenue by $4 million and assuming approximately $1 million in consumer price index adjustment for a net reduction of $3 million. And this reflects revenue trends of the past several years. The grants and special revenues budget is expected to stay relatively high in the budget year. The out year shows lower amounts because we don't really know what the grant funding opportunities will be yet. And the department will receive a small percentage of anticipated development impact fees that will be collected in fiscal years 24 to 25 and 25 to 26. And that will be used to recover costs associated with administering various development impact fee processes and programs. And this is just lower than what it has been in the past based on expected revenue. Interdepartmental services are expected to remain relatively similar over the next two fiscal years. We are reducing our project recovery next fiscal year because some projects are going to be put on hold based on the current fiscal outlook. These projects are subject to change over the next few months as departments continue to refine what services to request from the planning department in the upcoming years. And we always revisit these in the second year to determine whether or not it will happen. And the general fund support reflects the $920,000 reduction in fiscal years 24 to 25 and 25 to 26 to align with the mayor's office reduction instructions. Looking at expenditures, personnel costs make up the majority of the budget. We anticipate these costs to be 63% in the budget year and 70% in the out year. The personnel costs listed here assume that some vacant positions will be removed from the budget. We see an increase in the out year due to upcoming negotiations, CPI, fringe, and benefits. The overhead rate is set by the controller's office and will likely change as budget development continues. 
Non-personnel services include equipment leases, software, and contracts. We intentionally reduced our contracts to create savings, and we increased our software expenditure to, due to a shift from work order costs to non-personnel service costs. And we also increased our budget for translation and interpretation services. Materials and supplies will increase slightly in the budget year compared to previous years due to an additional data costing, data processing costs and staff working in the office more compared to when staff were mostly working from home during COVID. And the majority of the project's budget is related to grant and IPIC funded expenditures and more spe specific expenditures will be known once a grant is actually awarded to the department. Interdepartmental services will continue to change throughout the budget cycle as departments share cost estimates for their services in the next two years. We believe that we will be able to see some savings in other departments and what they charge us. The largest expenses are rent, city attorney, and technology support. Those budgets will all be loaded into the department um, after the department submits the budget to the mayor's office. This reflects the work program as currently proposed. Division-specific FTEs may change as we identify which vacant positions will be cut. The budget equity tool here um, was first piloted in fiscal years 2021 to 2022, and it's a set it's a process instead of descriptors for the department to assess how budget proposals will benefit or burden communities of color and other vulnerable and historically marginalized groups. To be counted as centering on equity, um, at a minimum, a work program area must prioritize and center its work in an equity issue area and an equity geography or an equity population. So with these criteria defined, managers reviewed their department's budget proposals using this methodology and listed work program areas and contracts that met this criteria. Overall, the outcome for fiscal years 24 to 25's resource allocation is that 23% of all work programs would center equity. And here are the details of the criteria that were used to determine whether a work program is centering equity. And this is our budget calendar for the remainder of the year. So we'll be meeting with the Historic Preservation, uh, Preservation Commission um, on February 7th, and then we'll be back here February 8th for approval. And then we'll be submitting our budget to the mayor's office on February 21st. And then the mayor's um, proposed budget will be published in June. Um, and then the board of supervisors will also be considering the budget then. Thank you, and please let me know if you, let us know if you have any questions. Thank you. If that include, concludes staff's presentation, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this item. Uh, seeing no one coming forward, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you, commissioners. Director Hillis. Yeah, I just, want to say, just, just kind of overall framing the budget. Obviously, as Katie mentioned, it's not a great year on the kind of the revenue side, both our fees and general general fund support 
um, from the city are, are being reduced. But I think, you know, our team on the finance side has, has been able to manage this primarily through vacant positions and eliminating vacant positions. But that does mean like we're not growing our work program. We're looking how to kind of adjust what we're doing. But I think, you know, to some extent, maintaining the direction you have given us in the past, focusing on, on where we can make adjustments, like in our citywide team and our community equity team, focusing on implementing the housing element, which just isn't rezoning, but working in um, communities, priority equity geographies on planning efforts, whether it's the Fillmore, Japantown, continuing the work we're doing in the Mission Bayview, kind of, but leading with the, the community's um, priorities, uh, which may not be zoning changes, but could be kind of more community planning, filling vacancies, looking at how development can occur in neighborhoods. So a strong emphasis to, to continue that work as well as our transportation element, downtown, um, and looking at our waterfront and resiliency and how we're, how we're tackling sea level rise. So again, not a lot of room to work with and add, um, but I think we're consistent with what you've directed us in the past to kind of to prioritize. So thank you. Before I call on the commissioners, I want to make one quick comment. Thank you, Ms. Lee, for representing a very serious matter with such light uh, smile on your face. I appreciate uh, the way you're presenting. It looks very thorough, but I will be calling on my fellow commissioners first to hear what their comments are. Commissioner Brown. Yes, yeah, thank you for the presentation. It's um, a sobering assessment, reading through the, the budget document that was shared ahead of time. Uh, I have a question, and I'm not quite sure who's best position to answer it, but so we're reducing 18 full-time equivalent positions from this fiscal year coming into the next fiscal year. There was a mention that um, there would be 10 positions, vacant positions eliminated as part of that process. Um, have we already eliminated eight other positions that were vacant, or where did things stand with getting those 18 FTEs? Maybe it's too in the weeds for, <laughs> for this moment, but I am kind of curious. Good afternoon, uh, Commissioner Tom DeSanto, Department of Staff. So the, the current numbers in front of you uh, propose eliminating 10 vacant positions. We have currently right now, I mean, it's always a changing picture. People come and go. We have 21 vacant positions. Um, so of, we're proposing to cut about half of those. The others would remain vacant to cover um, salary savings that are required in the budget, the attrition that's a budget in the budget. Um, there's about five vacant positions in admin. We're going to cut those five positions. And then um, the other five will come from environmental planning and uh, current planning. We may adjust that. We're still balancing the budget as we make entries in the system. We have to meet this $920,000 general fund target. So we may add or subtract a position, but right now it's assuming about 10 vacant positions would be deleted out of the budget. Okay. Yeah, I think what I'm referring to is that towards the end of the document where the FTEs are reported by uh, in detail, it shows a decline of from 225.6 to 207.55. So maybe not today, but I'd just be curious maybe um, when this comes forward to us again, kind of what might be happening with that number and, and sort of where we stand in getting that reduction in the FTEs. Okay. Yeah. But thank you. Um, I think uh, besides that, uh, you know, I am 
I do want to just throw my support behind uh, ensuring that we continue to promote and focus on the racial and social equity aspects of our work program. It's good to see that the budget uh, tool is being continuing to be implemented and maybe being implemented more efficiently in a way now um, and able to see really the aspects of the work that are focused um, on racial and social equity, even though it is you know, at part of all of the work that the department is and should be doing. Um, I also don't want to lose sight, you know, it was good to hear in your comments, Director Hillis, that there's still a focus on some of the general plan changes and some of the citywide planning efforts that we have going on. Because to me, I would really hate to lose uh, sort of the proactive aspects of our work um, because those are the opportunities to change our long range planning documents, especially our general plan, make sure it does so center racial and social equity, and also just do these updates that have been a very long time coming. So I know that I'm very excited about the um, you know, implementation, implementation of the housing element, of course, but also seeing the transportation element moving forward. And the aspects of the work program describing us finally having a land use and economy element or land use element is particularly exciting. Um, I know that's a longer term part of our, our work plan, but again, uh, it's, I, I'm always looking for us to be as proactive as we can um, in sort of setting, setting the tone for the future, making sure that we're, we're ready and not just reacting to what comes down the line. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Woods. Thank you, I'll second those comments. Um, I also wanted to ask, so in addition to removing vacant positions, what does this mean for our young planners program? Because I know that's something that we refresh every so often. And so what's the department's commitment to that program and ensuring we maintain that? Yeah. So there's two internships programs, the high school young planners program, which were thankfully doesn't, I mean, we're able to leverage other resources to, to pay for that. So it's not necessarily housed in our budget, but we, we get extreme value out of that program and we want to continue it. Our high school internship is funded through our, through our budget fees and general fund. And we were asked by the mayor's office to suspend that this year, just because it got caught up in the hiring um, process, but thankfully we were able to keep the high school internship program, but had to dial back on the on the college internship program. But as the economy improves and our revenue improves, it's something um, that, that we do want to con continue. But we're in this position now, given the cities, in, in frankly ours, I think our revenues, you know, we're hoping to hit the revenue targets we have in the budget, but I think they're somewhat optimistic, so we've got to keep positions vacant to do that. So as vacant positions come up, um, we really have to evaluate kind of can we, can we fill that? And it's really looking at that position and looking at where our revenues are during the course of the year. But we do have a shortfall in the current fiscal year that's fairly significant that we're balancing by keeping positions vacant. Okay, thank you. Um, I would just hope that we continue to keep that at the forefront because yep. I know that that's an invaluable program for our young people and gets them the experience that might expose them to planning and want to be future planners. So I hope that is something we continue to prioritize. Absolutely. Those are my comments and questions. Uh, Commissioner Imperial. Um, yeah, thank you, and I'm supportive of the the budget plan as um, also the the prior projects that the, the the department is 
going to work on in this in this year. I do have a question. This is not necessarily a budget question, but um, I remember it was brought up last year, and it was also mentioned in this document that um, there will be uh, provide staff racial and ec social equity training. Um, is that something that's been ongoing or, you know, that, um, and I guess for us as a commission, like what kind of, you know, I would like to get an update or in some form of informational update in terms of the training. And um, also because as we see here more in a more, um, we measure racial social equity in the way how we see the developments are, but that's not necessary. Of course, we don't necessarily see it translate um, or we don't oversee staff at the end of the day. Um, so I would, um, I would like to hear in terms of like what are the measures of this um, racial and social equity training and how it's being applied um, to us, yeah. um, or when, especially when it comes to the commission. Um, so if there's any kind of updates, um, maybe you can give me now or perhaps in the future that's something I would yeah. like. To we could definitely give you more info on, on kind of the levels of training because they're happening at, at all levels of the department and what's being offered. Um, in, in so it's shifted more to implementation, like how mm -hmm. can we take action? How can we change what we do and how we operate to get at the goals mm -hmm. of, our, of our racial and social equity plan? I think, you know, a couple of years ago we were understanding the issue in, in, in getting more educated on on kind of how to tackle these issues, but more focused uh, this year and I think in future years on how we actually change our, our, mm -hmm. our work program and how we do things to be more responsive to our racial and social equity plan. And then I think we've included commissioners in those discussions too and look forward to doing that in the future, but we can give more detail on, on the training programs and, and what's been happening and what we're planning for next year as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, piggybacking on what uh, my fellow commissioner said, in principle, I am uh, comfortable with uh, the budget. Uh, I have trust uh, in the department and its ability to really deal with an incredibly difficult task year in, year out. It's really a constant uh, element of change and struggle, not only in the direction of how we do planning, but also how you administer to keeping it together. And I think holding a ship steady is one of the biggest challenges in this type of environment. There was one comment made, perhaps Ms. Lee could, could explain it to us. She mentioned reduction of translation services. From my perspective, the translation services are an integral part of our racial and social equity engagement. And I was wondering if you perhaps could explain that as to whether or not this is an additional task and the uh, social and racial equity effort is not affected by your reductions of those translation services. Yes, thank you for your question. And just to clarify, it's an increase in translation and interpretation services. I heard reduction, but I may have, if you were speaking very fluently and quickly, uh, I may have misunderstood you then. If that is the case, uh, I take my comment back, and I'm delighted to hear that we are increasing it because we have a very diverse uh, group uh, of languages and uh, uh, people represented in social, in social and racial equity areas. So increasing our fluency to, to, to deal with them in their language is extremely important. Thank you. And that's all. Indeed, commissioners, if there's nothing further, we can move on 
to item 16 for case number 2015-012491 CUA for the San Francisco Gateway Project at 749 Toland Street and 2000 McKinnon Avenue. Also an informational presentation. Uh, SF Gov, we can get the display. Awesome, thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Gabriela Pento of Department Staff and current planner on the SF Gateway Project, or also known as 749 Toland Street. Uh, I'm joined here by members of the project sponsor team, including Courtney Bell, Director of Development with Prologis, who will provide you with more detailed information on the project and by other city staff, including our colleagues at the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, Susan Ma and John Lau from Project Managers. The, pro the project site, as you know, is composed of two city blocks within the Bayview neighborhood. The site is approximately 17.1 acres in size and is bounded by Tolan Street on the west, Rankin Street on the east, McKinnon Avenue on the south and Kirkwood Avenue on the north and is bisected from north to south by Shelby Street and Highway 280. The site is currently developed with four independent structures that make up approximately 448,000 square feet of PDR space. Located within the Bayview's uh, core industrial area, the SF Gateway Project is an opportunity to acknowledge and address the Bayview's environmental and socioeconomic burdens and, the, and to apply the department's racial and social equity tools to better our communities. Um, as a result, the city's land use team and development agreement team and SF Gateway team have committed to a robust, equitable process during the project's development stage, including during the design and community collaboration process and during the conversations about community benefits. Specifically, the city staff has collaborated with SF Gateway team to provide an equitable public engagement process um, and provide project components that advance the equitable outcomes, including those related to workforce, the public realm, and resilience in the Bayview. The project sponsor team will address more specifics about public benefits in their presentation. And the project was last before you on September 7th of last year for a hearing in the project's draft environmental impact report and will be before you again. As the project is described by the project sponsored team, the project will require a number of actions, including the certification of the EIR, final EIR, adoption of sequel findings, and MMRP, and consideration of planning code text and zoning map amendments for the creation of a special use district, or SUD, and for um, a request for a conditional use authorization for a planned unit development, and lastly, a development agreement. Um, now we'll turn it over to Susan with the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, who will break down the development agreement for you guys. 
Thank you so much. Good afternoon, commissioners. Susan Ma, OEWD staff here to give a little bit of background on the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, the history of production, distribution, and repair, more fondly known as PDR, and the SF Gateway Development Agreement. You may be familiar with past development agreements such as Mission Rock, Pier 70, or most recently Stonestown, but SF Gateway is different in that it creates PDR rather than a mixed-use neighborhood but it will use the DA process to codify a development program and significant community benefits that would apply only to this project. In exchange, the project can be developed over a longer span of time than a typical building permit allows. John Lau and myself are from the department have been coordinating the city departments involved in reviewing, approving, and implementing DA projects. The goal is to have a balance between maximizing public benefits and financial feasibility to ensure the project is implemented and delivers the negotiated benefits. We work closely with city staff, community stakeholders, and the project sponsor to develop a robust benefits package. Um, and before I jump into the details of the DA, I'd like to give a brief history about PDR in the city. For the last 25 years, the city has been monitoring the demand, zoning changes, and impact of production, distribution, and repair policies and businesses. These jobs are important to maintain a diverse economy as well as career opportunities to those with diverse backgrounds. Efforts like the Eastern Neighborhoods Plan, sections of the planning code that protect and encourage PDR were the results of both city and community-led efforts, and numerous studies on the economic importance of the sector have been authored and commissioned by the city with the intention to protect and encourage these types of uses. Now on to how that relates to the SF Gateway project. The project sponsors are proposing a multi-story sustainable modern PDR facility, which is a building type that currently does not exist in San Francisco. In addition to its unique design, um, the SF Gateway project is also unique because it is an industrial development seeking to enter into a development agreement with the city. Again, we typically see mixed-use projects that have a wide range of benefits reflective of the different types of uses that will be developed. At SF Gateway, the big opportunities center around environmental sustainability, jobs, both construction and operational, and uplifting small businesses in the surrounding market working zone area next to the SF Market, the nearby Third Street neighborhood corridor, as well as the entrepreneurs within Bayview, especially those that run micro and hyper local businesses. The DA will list specific goals and investments around all of these topics, but as of right now, those details are still being negotiated as the community process is still ongoing. I'll let the project sponsor go into more detail about their community engagement efforts, but I will say that the benefits being discussed are a result of many conversations with neighborhood stakeholders that represent residents, businesses, service providers, and more, as well as research on reports and recommendations that have been vetted by community in recent history. Something we keep coming back to is how can this project advance and amplify the efforts that are already being led by community? So with that being said, I want to thank you for your time today. John and I are here, should you have any questions, and I'll hand it back to Gabby. Thank you, Susan. Uh, this does conclude staff's presentation. We're available for questions. Before we jump into public uh, comment, the project project team does have a presentation for you guys. Sponsor, you have five minutes. Should I go here? 
Thank you, Susan and Gabby. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Courtney Bell. I'm a director of development at Prologis and really ha happy to be back here um, in front of you today for the informational presentation. Uh, Prologis is proudly headquartered in the city and has been for over 40 years. We build, own, and operate PDR buildings in 19 countries. Our customers span a variety of businesses from distributors, food production, makers, event planners, medical suppliers, but they have one single thing in common. Inside our buildings, our customers are working to meet the needs of daily life. The SF Gateway Project will rebuild and reinvest in San Francisco PDR, guided by good jobs, community focus, and innovation. We believe in creating a state-of-the-art facility in an infill location will improve the area's functionality, bring back PDR jobs, provide benefits to the Bayview community, and increase the resilience of the city's supply chain. The project is located in Bayview Hunters Point neighborhood in District 10 on the corner of Tolan and McKinnon in one of the last <clears throat> remaining PDR zones in the city. Here you can see the site in blue, the SF market to the north, Highway 280 running through the middle of the site, and 101 to the west. The dashed outline shows the market zone. Under the leadership of SF Market and Meals on Wheels teams, over 13 PDR businesses representing approximately 1,600 workers have come together to form the market zone working group. Prologis is an active participant in the group where we are working with our neighbors and a number of city departments to improve the conditions for businesses and employees. The San Francisco Gateway Project will significantly improve the area through innovative PDR design. We will replace four older buildings that total half a million square feet with two multi-story buildings. The new building will contain just over one million of enclosed active PDR, including dedicated ground floor maker and retail. The PDR support space at just under one million includes logistics yards, parking, and vehicle and pedestrian circulation, bringing the project total to two million. We are proud that the project will create over 2,100 construction jobs, and once built, support over 2,000 on-site permanent jobs and significant indirect economic benefits, which can help support the city's economic recovery. The San Francisco Gateway is designed to accommodate a variety of PDR uses permitted in the zone. At this time, no specific tenants have been identified, but we have been focused on the same set of uses from the start. We believe there's a strong demand for wholesale storage, parcel delivery, and fleet management, and we've designed the building to accommodate these uses, all of which have been studied in the EIR. The innovative multi-story design utilizes ramps and circulation areas, shown here in white, to move vehicles to the upper levels to support active PDR space, shown here in green, accommodating both large and small-scale operators. The active roof provides an opportunity to generate a significant amount of on-site renewable energy through rooftop solar. Through our outreach and community engagement and feedback we've heard from this commission, the bar has been set high. The demand exists for logistics facilities to support city life, and we are confident that Prologis is in the best position to deliver this type of facility with a focus on sustainability and resilience. You can see here a spectrum of sustainability initiatives we are actively working on, and I'll highlight a few. From the energy side, we're working to maximize the roof to generate renewable energy on site and install charging, install charging infrastructure to equip the facility to support electrification. We're also commissioning a whole building life cycle analysis to focus on reducing both embodied and operational carbon. The project is committed to exceeding TDM requirements, and we're currently working with planning department and OEWD to, to identify innovative additional measures to implement that focus on PDR users. 
Prologis is leading the industry on many of these fronts. In addition to carbon neutral construction by 2025, we're committed to net zero operations by 2040. We've led the industry in renewable energy and they're currently the largest generator, second largest generator of rooftop solar in the US. We're designing innovative PDR that delivers a healthy workplace and a cleaner supply chain for the communities and customers we serve. Here you can see that the project will deliver a dramatic improvement to the streetscape. It will build out eight city blocks with new sidewalks, crosswalks, lighting, and street trees to improve the safety and transform pedestrian experience. Not only will the project's design be a significant improvement from today's conditions, the active ground floor maker and retail will enliven the area and foster opportunities for Bayview local businesses. Looking at the timeline of the entitlement process, we're appreciative of OEWD and planning staff on their work to advance the approvals. We expect to be back in front of you for another informational presentation in May to review more details of the final package ahead of coming back to this commission for approvals and board of supervisors later this summer. On the lower half, you'll see the team's extensive outreach has come in many shapes and sizes. We have spent time in the community at local events through volunteer and sponsorship opportunities and in open dialogue about Prologis and the project in public meetings. This outreach has included five visits to Bayview CAC, continued collaboration with our neighbors at the SF Market and Market Zone Working Group, and the formation of an advisory committee with the help of the folks at APRISF. That is your time, ma'am. That's fine. Very have, good. If there's any other questions on the outreach, I'm happy to continue. Very good. With that, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. Through the chair, you'll each have two minutes. And if you please line up on the screen side of the room or to your right, we would certainly appreciate that. Come on forward. Uh, good day. My name is Demetrius Williams. I'm the president of the San Francisco Hyperlocal Building Trades Contractors Collective. Um, we in support of Prologics. We've been working with uh, Courtney Bell, with uh, Susan, Gabby, um, uh, just to name a few that's been coming and meeting with the community on this uh, project. It's a win-win for the Bayview. It's the win-win for San Francisco, because not only are they putting 2,300 people to work, they're going to keep 2,000 steady. So I believe that this is worth it, and I think that we should all be happy that uh, Prologix is actually coming and working with the community, working with San Francisco, and keeping San Francisco striving. Thank you. Thank you so much. Next, please. Hi. My name is LaSonia Mansfield. I'm a business owner out of the Bayview Hunters Point, native, born and raised in San Francisco. Um, just a little history, I'm a nurse by trade and uh, self-retired to start my business, which I'm extremely excited about. And I am in support of the San Francisco Gate project and having ProLogics build it and maintain it on behalf of us. Um, it's going to give us in the Bayview uh, economic stimulation uh, growth. Uh, as a specialty contractor, we need work. Um, we need to put our community to work, and this project would definitely uh, put us in that direction. And we've been working with Courtney Bell for a while now, and we appreciate her efforts in coming out and speaking with the community. Thank you. 
Thank you, Ms. Maxwell. Next, please. Good afternoon to the Planning Commission and everyone here. Thank you for this time. I am Reverend Dr. Carolyn Scott. I serve and volunteer as a commissioner, but not representing my commission. I also serve this city, born and raised, been here since the early 40s, have worked through a lot of transformations, and now at 77, I'm seeing out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope, and Prologus is coming with that hope, and I'm so grateful for the things that they have presented to us, the opportunities to sit with them as their uh, advisory committee as we walk towards this um, wonderful hope that's to blossom, bloom, give all the opportunities that we're discussing, not just listening to what they're going to do, but they are asking us, how do we see this serving the District 10? I live in District 10. I'm not far from the Kirkwood Street side. I live on Kirkwood, and I've been there watching over 30 years the changes and much of the development that's coming that's bringing brighter hope to our city. And along with the two that just spoke, I approve and I am for what is building into a great relationship already and developing into the hope and the uh, bright um, future for the generations to come. Thank you, Dr. Scott, please. Thank you and good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Ward Mace with Goodman. We are a property owner in the Bayview and uh, I've gotten to know uh, Courtney uh, through the Market Zone Working Group over the last three years. And I have to tell you, I had no idea she had so many friends. <laughs> but uh, no, I think that the, the company that she works for, they happen to be a competitor of ours, but uh, the project that they are presented to you today, they have, they have spent a lot of time and energy and thought through, and it's a fabulous project. And uh, I support it, and uh, I think it will do wonders to uh, activate the neighborhood. So thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, uh, Chair Moore and uh, Commissioners. My name is Chris Burnett. I am a uh, local resident and a member of local uh, San Francisco Glazers 718. And uh, I wanted to urge your support of this project. I know it's early on in the design phase, but Prologis has been uh, very uh, enthusiastically uh, outreaching the local community with concerns of the Bayview uh, and also a commitment to local hire and uh, all union project. So um, again, I do strongly urge you to uh, consider and endorse this project going forward. Um, I'm also, I should mention, uh, a graduate of a state uh, certified uh, apprentice program, uh, five-year apprentice program. I graduated in 2020 and got me on some essential jobs here in San Francisco, but um, we would like to go back to work again. And uh, I'm currently out of work, been out of work for four months. so. It would be good to see this project uh, ramping up and uh, fully support all the work that you do to make San Francisco a better place to live. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Mark Gleason here. I'm going to read a statement on behalf of the Teamsters Union in Northern California. As members of the San Francisco 
Building and Construction Trades Council, the Teamsters join our brothers and sisters in supporting the agreement for all union construction at the ProLogic Gateway site. To be clear, the Teamsters are signatory to the PLA for construction of this project. The Teamsters look forward to delivering concrete and building materials to this project and removing debris and solid waste through the project's completion. The Teamsters do not oppose the construction and expansion of commercial and industrial sites proposed, vetted, and approved that recognize and adhere to the fair standards of the trade union movement. However, as a multi-craft trade union, the Teamsters call attention to the end use of some industrial facilities post-approval and construction. Much of the shipping commerce today is driven by demands for faster and cheaper while ignoring fairness and safety. Don't take the Teamsters' word for that. The internet publishes uh, many videos that show the working conditions of places that are called fulfillment centers run by Amazon. We encourage everybody who supports the rights of working people to peruse those videos. Again, the Teamsters fully support this project, the approval and construction of it. We will be there on the first day when the shovels are turned. We will be there when it's completed for the ribbon cutting. But when Amazon or any other such entity runs a facility which is unfair in wages and conditions for working people in the parcel delivery industry, we will be there that day too. Thank you. Thank you. How you doing? I'm Cletus Norman, uh, Vice President of the San Francisco Hyperlocal Building Trades Contractors Collective. Uh, just want you to know I'm in full support of the Prologis Pro 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 developers. Uh, they're the only developers when we were out there uh, looking for contracts that was willing to come and sit down with the group. And as we had a dialogue, they were, out, they were able to identify with the barriers and, disparate, and disparities that, uh, that's in our neighborhood. And we talked about strategizing and uh, creating opportunity uh, and an inclusive plan for the local contractors in the neighborhood. And in simple mathematics, you hire the local contractors and then we hire our own. And then they hire their own. It's, and the little kids can be inspired when they see us on the job as contractors. And they're looking like, wow, I did that. Or you can ride by a building and be proud that you, you built that building. So once again, I'm in full support of Prologis and uh, just wanted to make sure I came up here and let you guys know that. Thank you. Thank you. Next, please. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Mr. Dennis Williams. I'm a, a sub-chair of Emergence Collaborative. I'm also a real estate developer and a member of the San Francisco Hyperlocal. I support this uh, project and any project that's in historical black communities um, that in employs or includes, especially at the table of negotiations, um, hyper-local and local businesses. As you know, it's increasingly difficult for black developers to gain traction, even in our own communities, which is egregious. And um, we hope that OEWD, um, the mayor's office and others um, adhere to the uh, equal opportunity policies that have been kind of led by the wayside. Um, it's important to hire us. It's important to look into our communities and hire locally because as the gentleman just stated, the youth are watching and as San Francisco is getting more troubled and troubled, it's important to get them job training and on these jobs, especially the um, union jobs and unionized. So 
I do support this. Uh, appreciate Ms. Courtney Bell and anyone else um, and other companies that include the Hyperlocal and um, supports hiring um, local contractors, truckers, uh, and especially developers. So thank you. Thank you. Would you come up, please? Thank you. Excuse me. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Commission. My name is Aronde Sterling, owner of Sterling Builders, doing business with Sterling Framers. Um, I'm just here to piggyback off of my fellow colleagues. I'm a member of the SF Hyperlocal as well, too. Um, just to say that it is refreshing to hear ProLogis and SF Gateway coming to us, the community, to put something together to make a difference in our community. Um, I've been in the trade for 16 years, uh, fighting for jobs, and I know it was going to be a fight to get projects as well, too. So, <clears throat> excuse me, it's refreshing to hear that they are giving us this opportunity to um, be able to give our community the opportunity for employment and um, work in the workforce. You know, so I'm a first generation um, owner as a contractor. So I have youth as well watching me and I got them on my back. So uh, again, I appreciate the opportunity. It's good to hear that ProLogis is talking with us. So <clears throat> yeah, that's about it. Thank you. Thank you. If you could all move up a little bit so that you could step up more quickly. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Michael Halby. I'm the uh, co-chair of the Market Zone Working Group that uh, Courtney referenced, and uh, but here today representing a neighboring PDR building, uh, the owner and manager of that building on Gerald Avenue. Uh, and just want to echo the enthusiasm and general support from many of the previous commenters that uh, we think this project is ambitious, it's exciting, and it's really important for both the Market Zone, District 10, and PDR in general. So just voicing general support and uh, enthusiasm for the project. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commission. Uh, my name is Frankie Scott. I'm the Director of Facilities for Meals on Wheels, San Francisco. I'm also co-chair of the Market Zone Working Group with uh, Michael Halber, who just spoke. Uh, I'd like to say to you today, um, and I'm also a participant in the advisory committee. Uh, I'm a native of San Francisco. Uh, I've attended numerous meetings on the subject, um, which has been very positive, very productive. Uh, the Prodologist team has engaged positively. They've listened to us. I believe they are truly committed to fulfilling the needs of the community. Uh, San Francisco has lost the majority of its industrially zoned land <clears throat> over including housing. The Bayview Market Zone serves as an intricate part of San Francisco's economy and acceptance of the San Francisco Gateway Project. Uh, will replace four very dilapidated buildings uh, it'll improve and strengthen the local, local supply chain. It'll provide maker spaces for the community, uh, foster local businesses, provide various types of employment and training. There's a lot there for the Bayview and District 10. So I'm here in front of you to say I'm in full support of the, the project itself. Uh, one thing, other thing I'd like to leave with you is that the market zone has been working with the um, Public Works Department on improving the safety in the area, and this is in direct correlation with that. So uh, I am here to lend my support to the project. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Commission members and Director Hillis. I'm Michael Janis of the SF Market. The market has operated at our location in our Bayview Hunters Point community for six decades, where our merchants each and every morning bring fresh, nutritious produce to San Franciscans, Bay Area residents, restaurants, food retailers, and our community partners that are serving the food insecured. We are located next to the SF Gateway and a member of the Market Zone Working Group. Thank you for your ongoing support of PDR businesses and Director Hillis's team for their ongoing work to ensure that San Francisco, San Francisco businesses has a place, specifically PDR businesses. In our case, for the market, it allows us to ensure that we continue to provide the critical food infrastructure to our current merchants and our future merchants. I'm before you today in my capacity as a member of the SF Gateway Advisory Committee and to share with you my experience as a member. We are grateful to Supervisor Walton for his leadership, ensuring that the community is present and has a voice in the project. And we recognize and thank OEWD for their effective role in the process. In short, my experience on the committee has been productive and positive. Mark, Courtney, Banke, and their team have developed and are carrying out a thoughtful and thorough process and framework for the committee's work. They have done so in an earnest and authentic way that has provided the members with an environment where we have learned about the project, brainstormed, and are developing potential benefit ideas while still tethered to the project realities. I look forward to continuing our work to put forward programs that are definable, implementable, measurable, and accountable for and with our Bayview Hunters Point community. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commission President and Commissioners. I'm Reverend Ronnie Chisholm, um, resident of Bayview Hunters Point community. I am here to, uh, as a member of the advisory committee that's making recommendations to Pelagis regarding how to, some of the community needs and concerns and, and what they can do to meet some of those with this project. Um, one of the first things that I appreciate about this group is that I got an opportunity to see a number of black contractors in one of the first public meetings that were held and to hear their concerns about how they're overlooked, even though they have resumes of, of large projects that they haven't been able to participate in. And I'm definitely uh, encouraged by Pelagia's communication with them and involvement in this process. And I just hope that um, that continues and that you will support that effort to move forward. Uh, there's another element that has happened, and I've been involved in other um, public projects, is that they brought forth a list of jobs, job requirements, and certifications that folks need to do these particular jobs. And it's one of the things that I asked for as an advisory member, that in order for the public to, and, and community to understand how they're to compete, they need to know about these jobs, the requirements, and so forth. In closing, I appreciate you giving me time to express my support of Pelagis. And part of our design is to put together an educational project that will involve their partners as we move other people through our community into these 
uh, training programs that can qualify them for the future. And I think that's a, a landmark move that will benefit not only our community, but others. Thank you for hearing me, and God bless you. Thank you, Evan. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Joe Sanders. I am a member and representative of Painters and Drywall Finishers Local 913, and I am here to speak in support of the ProLogis Gateway project. This project is going to bring good-paying jobs to the city and neighborhood, focusing on local businesses and residents, <clears throat> and I urge your support as well. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Colin Johnson. I'm a field representative for the Bricklayers and Allied Crafts Local 3 and a member of the San Francisco Building Trades. My union is in full support of this Prologis project. We are hoping to get skilled and trained workforce there, which will put our apprentices to work and continue to grow our trades. So again, Local 3 is in support of this project. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Good afternoon, my name is Josh Vallis. I'm a business rep with Sheet Metal Workers Local 104 and a graduate of their five-year building trades program and apprenticeship. I represent uh, roughly 500 members and 176 of them are out of work in San Francisco alone. So we're in support of this. Also, we have about 6,800 active members, 13.2% of them are out of work. So this will bring a lot of jobs and get a lot of people off the street and working, back to work in San Francisco. So local 104 sheet metal workers and the building trades are in full support of this and we'd encourage you to do so as well. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Anthony Nuanis and I'm a business representative of the Carpet Linoleum and Soft Tile Workers, Local Union 12. I represent over 1,200 uh, floor covers many who live here in San Francisco. Um, we're, I am also a, a member of the Billing Trades, Local 12 is, and we are in full support of the Prologis project that we're here to uh, speak about. Uh, the local hire is a big um, part of uh, what brings us all out here. Many of my workers who live right here in the area, close on the peninsula and, and across the bay too, all look forward to projects in the area where they could still able to provide a place for themselves to live with local uh, wages and uh, live close to where they work. So uh, Local 12 is in full support of this project. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is RJ Ferrari, business agent, local 38 plumbers and five pitters in San Francisco, proud member. Uh, we have a lot of people out of work right now, about 200, and this will definitely strengthen and jolt that book to get these people out to work. I wanna publicly thank Prologis for all the outreach they did to the neighborhoods, listening, and also all the negotiating they did with the building trades to get a PLA passed in November. I also wanna thank them again. Thank you, Prologis, and uh, hopefully more developers and contractors like them can jolt San Francisco to get us all back to work. Thank you, have a thank good day. Hi, my name is Israel Vargas. I'm a member of uh, Plasters and Cement Masons, Local 300, and Ash uh, representative too. Uh, I'm here to speak on our union um, favor of this project. Uh, you know, jobs like this, uh, projects like this, is, uh, gave me the opportunity once back in 2000 to be um, exact. Um, through apprenticeship program, I entered the uh, trade and that now I love. and. Uh, 
So it's, it's a great opportunity um, for people, not only residents here locally, to uh, enter the trades um, through a skilled and trained uh, workforce. Um, I'm very um, happy for this project. Uh, I also appreciate Logics for uh, step up and, and committed to a full 100% um, union project. Um, and um, um, our union uh, we're in favor of this project. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Vargas. Next, please. Good afternoon and thank you for the time. My name is Matt Russo. I'm the business manager of the Elevator Constructors Union here in San Francisco. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to speak on behalf of the San Francisco Gateway Project, which would provide valuable jobs, skills, and training to our community. Projects like this provide much needed jobs to the disenfranchised communities in our city and a path of the middle class for residents of San Francisco and the surrounding communities, while providing paid training to those individuals in the form of an apprenticeship. I'm the product of an apprenticeship and I'm thankful for the opportunity it provided me and my family. Not just wages, but the quality of life, medical care, and sense of self-worth, which personally I believe we undervalue or overlook when we talk about these projects. They're more than just glass and steel and concrete. These projects are workers and families and lives as well. Lives like that of a skilled and trained elevator constructor, of which I am one, and the opportunity to learn, grow, and provide by my for my family that was given to me by working on projects much like this one. I respectfully encourage you all to support this project and thank you for your time today. Thank you, Mr. Wissell. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners and staff. My name is Greg Hardiman. I'm a uh, lifelong resident, born and raised in San Francisco, and I'm the business rep recording secretary for the Elevator Constructors Local 8. Our union has seen um, unemployment numbers not like some of these others, but our membership size is down by over 250 since the last construction boom. Um, and uh, we would like to, and we are thankful that Prologis has uh, came to the table early with the building trades to sign a PLA with a successorship agreement on it. And we were confident that the community benefits for the construction and the future work of over 2,000 uh, workers uh, in the later will provide jobs and community benefits. So uh, I urge you to support this project and thank you for allowing me to speak. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners, staff. My name is Dan Torres. I'm a business agent with Sprinkler Fitters, Local 483. I represent over 1,250 men and women that install, test, and maintain life safety fire sprinkler systems. I'm a San Francisco native. Being a member of Local 43 has enabled me to buy a condo in San Francisco, which in turn led me to buy a house. Prologis has ex executed an agreement to support community workforce through registered apprenticeships. Moving this project forward will provide opportunities for native San Franciscans like myself uh, to a pathway to a middle class and possibly home ownership. I urge you to move this project forward. Thank you for your time and thank you to Prologis for coming in and being a, a great partner to the San Francisco Building Trades. Thank you, Mr. Torres. Uh, good afternoon now, Honorable Commissioners. Rudy Gonzalez with the San Francisco Building and Construction Trades Council. You've heard a lot from uh, some of my brothers uh, and siblings. Um, I wanted to just highlight, you know, there's a lot of acronyms used, uh, PDR and all of our fun three-letter acronyms. Um, but we don't say it enough, I think. Uh, we have to call out that we have hyper-local community contractors who employ community workers 
and even that feels a little kind of buzzword and sticky sometimes. We have black workers and black employers and a black community who have been left out of development time and time again. And what you see here is the opportunity to not only create a really cool design from like a lead perspective and a sustainability perspective, but really leaning in to the opportunity to engage community, to engage a local contractor base that will in fact do what the city is doing at the PUC with the Neighborhood Hiring Initiative uh, just over the freeway from this project site where we can bring in local apprentices, some right out of prison and right into the Iron Workers Hall just a few blocks from this site, get them their welding certs, get them housing through CBO partners and put them into careers so that when this project is someday topped off and finished, these people will have life skills that they can take, hopefully to the next job in San Francisco, but maybe it gives them a career opportunity anywhere else in the world. So we're talking about lifelong opportunities for careers, real economic vitality for legitimate hyperlocal employers in the city. And to me, that is a tremendous community benefit in and of itself. We urge your strong support and we look forward to rolling out a robust local hire program, not just that complies with the mission that the city wants to impose, but really sees it as a community-driven mandate. So we're proud to stand with the project sponsors and the community uh, employers and workers. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Is there any other public comment? Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Commissioners, this matter is now before you. Let me start with saying what a difference a day makes. The reason why I'm saying that we had more than 30 people rendering public comment in person today. That is remarkable. That is something we have not seen for more than three years now. And since we just recently changed the rules, uh, I want to thank everybody for being here and showing us the full breadth of what public comment is all about. It is not just about a single idea that's being represented here, but the broadest voice of what we need to hear to see that this project is moving forward in a way that really supports the majority of elements that we would like to see come together in a project of this kind and of this size. Uh, I couldn't be more delighted hearing all of you, uh, speaking with a unison voice and uh, giving credibility to a project which at its ERR, DERR hearing in September still raised a lot of questions. Uh, I appreciate the developer rising to the occasion and really doing the work that we need in order to move projects forward. Thank you, and I will refer to uh, Commissioner Koppel to make his comments. This is a really big deal, eight city blocks. This is a, a quite sizable project in a good way. I don't know if anyone's been paying attention, but there's a lot of cranes down in this area already. There's a large uh, sewage treatment plant job uh, happening right now. That's where a lot of us are working right now, but uh, this is gonna be a, a really good project to take over um, after that one. Um, 2,100 construction jobs, that is a huge deal. We don't have those here right now. We need them very badly. We are in dire need of a downtown revitalization. It's not happening uh, at the rate we would like to see it. Uh, so jobs like this that incorporate local businesses, local minority businesses, local apprentices, local workforces getting paid local wages that they're gonna spend here in the city. Uh, don't forget the city build uh, classrooms are just blocks away from where this site's gonna be. And so again, city build puts graduates from disadvantaged neighborhoods in these trades, and then they get to go to work in their neighborhoods and then spend that money in their neighborhoods. So 
one of the first speakers said it best, win-win. This is a huge win. Uh, I want to acknowledge Rudy Gonzalez and Larry Mazzola Jr., both for their leadership, and then also uh, give some credit to Fire Sprinklers 483, Plumbers 38, Elevators number 8, Glazers 718, Sheet Metal 104, Teamsters Northern California, Painters 913, Bricklayers 3, Tile Workers 12, Plasters and Cement Masons 300. We have hearings sometimes where there's one trade here and they're claiming wall-to-wall -wall union. So what you saw today is, is what I think is a little more sustainable um, for the economy of this city, for the blue-collar workers of this city. Uh, when the blue-collar workers are gone, you don't have a functioning full society anymore. We need to keep our working-class people here. We need to give them jobs that pay them enough money to stay here so they don't have to leave. And I don't think it's ever a good idea that we outsource our work anywhere except for here in San Francisco. Thank you, Commissioner Kalpo. Uh, you echo my sentiments. Uh, Ms. Commissioner Mpilio. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Kalpo, for that um, emphasis. And also want to thank also the community members, um, the eloquence of your statements, and um, also reminding us that, you know, that you are looking for work at this point. Um, and reminding the city that this kind of developments will provide that. Um, so um, thank you for that, and thank you for Prologis as well in terms of doing the extensive outreach and communication with the community. That's always something that I'm looking forward to the commission where a developer comes in and there's extensive communication and not just listening, but really engaging and brainstorming together with the community members. I appreciate the SF, uh, SF Gateway Advisory Committee members for speaking as, as well, and also giving us up updates on what's going on in those conversations. Um, actually, would like to have a question about the role of SF Gateway Advisory Committee in the prolong or duration of this development. Um, I actually appreciate one of the members saying that they're, you know, as a committee, they're looking for something accountable, measurable, and um, um, implementable. And I think as a commission, that's also what we're looking for as well. Um, so, or at least on my side, but I'm pretty sure we are all too. Um, so in terms of the, 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 the relationship with the Prologis and SF Gateway Advisory Committee and the com community, um, what would be from now that, you know, this is the information session and then there's gonna be EIR and then of course, you know, the approvals entitlements um, process. Um, how are you, um, what is the um, infrastructure or what is the system in a way that, um, that there's still going to be engagement with the community as this development goes forward? Thank you for your question. Um, it, it sounds like the question was mainly related to the process and the relationship that the advisory committee, the project sponsor, and the, the final package have. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, also, like during the, you know, in terms of the construction and also the development of the project, like as build. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for for that question. I am. Um, we've had a lot of productive conversations with um, a lot of community members as well as the advisory committee. The committee itself was formed uh, late last year. We meet on a monthly basis for several hours and really wanna thank, um, I didn't quite get to it in the presentation, but really wanna thank the members of the advisory committee to, to dedicate their time 
Um, it's not the first time developers have come in and asked questions um, or asked for feedback, and, and so we recognize that, that it's important to also listen to what has been shared before. So we've done a lot of, of work to bring kind of homework to the table every, every month of the advisory committee. Um, and I think it, it shows that, that we've been you know, forthright and transparent and, and doing our best to really genuinely listen. Um, in terms of the, the process for the advisory committee, we hope to, we've, we've, over the past four months, we've gotten to um, a really uh, good productive conversations around focusing specific topic areas for the community benefits package. Um, and so where we're at right now is continue to work with the advisory committee and the community at large to get to a full implementation a package to put in front of you. So we're looking right now to refine those ideas, to figure out the feasibility and implementation of them so that it's not just the spirit, but it actually can be, you know, come to fruition. And so those will directly be then into uh, the DA and community benefits package. And I'm looking forward to see it. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Commissioner Brown? Yes, uh, I just want to open with a question about, question or maybe a comment about the space itself. So I'm just curious about the, uh, in the project when it is built out, there's the flexible PDR space as defined in, you know, as shown in today's slides. Um, would you mind just sharing a little bit more about what it means that it's flexible PDR space? Because, and, and the motivation behind my question is, yes, of course, the primary market that's driving demand for this space is probably going to be transportation, distribution, order fulfillment. Um, but at the same time, I see in community after community after community, including San Francisco, that our industrial spaces are the flexible stock that enables us to accommodate all kinds of businesses as their needs evolve over time or as demand evolves over time. And so I just want to make sure that we're not uh, I would, I'd be inter interested in ensuring that the building does provide the flexibility that meets the power requirements, uh, you know, has the ability to accommodate growth of businesses other than transportation logistics if that does, um, if those opportunities arise in the future. So would it be possible to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, um, so the, the way the, the, the project is designed is, is really focused on the set of uses that have, were studied in the EIR, the parcel delivery, wholesale storage, and fleet. Um, and the, when we say flexible PDR space, the active PDR space that is within the enclosed area of the project um, in multiple levels is intended to be able to accommodate a variety of users, both small scale and large scale. Um, so really it's intended to flex this, the type of, of user, but also the size of user. Um, the ground floor is, is more focused on the smaller scale maker space and, and retail. Um, but in terms of, uh, of the actual active PDR space, we want to make sure that this project has the ability to have the flexibility of uses depending on what, what's happening in the market. I think we've seen a lot of you know, changing conditions over the, the course of, of the past couple of years in San Francisco with you know, never know what's going to happen. Um, but we've been focused on the same set, set of uses, the, the wholesale storage and, and parcel delivery and fleet. Um, and we just want to make sure that this building is, um, you know, flexible to, to adapt over time to changes. Okay, thank you for that. And I know ProLogis is a total pro at this, so <laughs> I have a lot of confidence in that. Um, so besides that, um, I just want to thank everyone who's participating in the SF Gateway Advisory Committee and dedicating your time and coming here to speak today, as well as all the other labor representatives. 
Um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing ultimately what is brought forward as part of the community benefits package. So thank you. There's nothing further. No, no. I'm sorry. There's nothing further, commissioners. This is an informational item. So we can move on to the last item on your agenda today for number 17, in case anyone here is for the discretionary review calendar. Guerrero Street was continued to February 29th. Item 17, case number 2022-008254, CUA for the property at 2351 Mission Street, a conditional use authorization. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm Maggie Lausch, Planning Department staff, presenting a request for conditional use authorization pursuant to Planning Code Sections 145.2, 249.60, 303, and 754 to establish an outdoor activity area and expand an existing liquor establishment in the Mission Street Alcoholic Beverage Special Use District for an existing restaurant at 2351 Mission Street. Uh, Group has left the room. Thank you. Would you like me to repeat myself? Not necessarily. No? Okay. Um, the project proposes to convert an approximately 1,800 square foot area of a public parking lot, 10 of the 81 spaces, to an outdoor activity area for the restaurant, doing business as casements. The parking lot would continue operating with the remaining 71 spaces. The project also proposes to add a nighttime entertainment use, which is a principally permitted use in the Mission Street Neighborhood Commercial Transit District. So the outdoor activity area would be used both for outdoor dining with alcohol service and for entertainment activities. The subject area was previously authorized for use as outdoor dining by a shared spaces permit and for outdoor entertainment by a Just Add Music or Jam permit during the pandemic. Both of those programs sunset as of March 2023, thus requiring the requested CUAs to continue using that patio space. The proposed outdoor activity area is located in the, at the rear of the restaurant in like the northwestern corner of the parking lot. Uh, it would be primarily accessed through the restaurant space. This location is very close to residential uses, including residential hotel units directly above the restaurant and dwellings abutting the parking lot to the north. So the department recommends limiting the hours of operation for the outdoor activity area to between 9 a.m. and 10 p.m. to reduce potential noise impacts to residents. The restaurant holds a valid ABC Type 47 license and the outdoor activity area shall comply with the operating conditions for eating and drinking uses in Exhibit A. And in December 2023, the restaurant was granted a 12-month authorization by the Entertainment Commission for outdoor entertainment until 10 p.m. Um, after adding the nighttime entertainment use, the sponsor intends to seek a place of entertainment permit for ongoing authorization. The department received 50 letters in support of the project and three comments opposing it. The sponsor conducted direct outreach, visiting neighboring businesses and residents in person, and contacting community members and groups who have worked with them in the past. Support is focused on the importance of casements and the patio in particular as a safe outdoor gathering space for queer and immigrant communities, neighborhood organizations, and locals and visitors of all ages. Many noted specifically how casements has brought vibrancy to Mission Street amid numerous recent commercial closures. Opposition uh, from nearby residents is focused on the volume of amplified sound and patron conversation during late evening hours. In summary, 
The project is on balance consistent with the policies of the mission area plan and the general plan. It supports the retention of a local business, provides employment opportunities, and contributes to the economic vitality of the Mission Street corridor. The department recommends approval with conditions. This includes my presentation, and I'm here for questions, and I will now hand over to the project sponsor. Project sponsor, you have five minutes. Uh, hello, commissioners. Uh, my name is Chris Hastings. I'm one of the three owners of Casements. Uh, my business partner, Sean, is here today. Unfortunately, our third partner, Jillian, came down with COVID yesterday and wasn't able to join us. Um, we opened Casements in 2020, um, right before the pandemic shut the world down. Um, and we actually had to come out of pocket for the payroll before it. So things were really tight, and this patio space was absolutely um, one of the main reasons we were able to survive. And not only were we able to survive, we were able to thrive. Um, of the nine food and beverage businesses on that block, eight of them have closed or changed hands during the pandemic. Um, and, and we haven't, we're, we're, we're here thriving and we're asking to be able to continue to use the space as we were allowed to during, during the shared spaces program. Um, to, lose, to lose this space would be to lose um, probably close to half of our workforce, 40% of our workforce, about eight, about eight employees. It would mean uh, closure of another queer space. It would mean a loss of um, a performance venue for a lot of local musicians which are there. There's a ton I know you have in front of you, list of about 30, 40 groups that come and gather in the space. Um, we've, we've been an overwhelming um, success. Um, I, I think I'd also like to add that I am a 20 plus year resident um, of the mission. I live about a block and a half away. I've lived there for 20 years. I own another business about a block and a half away. So I'm really intimately familiar <coughs> Um, with this space or this, this couple blocks area. Um, and I also would like to urge you to consider um, allowing us to be open till 11 o'clock on weekdays and midnight on weekends. Um, it's incredibly economically difficult for a business operationally to shut down at 10 p.m. Um, if, you're, if you're a restaurant, that means people need to be done eating, kicked off, cleared. Give you a quick example, say you go out on a date maybe hour and a half for a dinner. Um, that would mean we wouldn't be able to see people after 8.30, um, maybe eight o'clock if we're you know, really wanting to not have to rush people out the door. Um, that's a really big economic challenge and operational challenge for us. So I'm asking for a slight extension to 11 p.m. weekdays, midnight weekends. We found a couple examples in the immediate neighborhood uh, where precedence has been set for longer operations. Um, the chapel, which is about a block away, goes till midnight on weekends. Foreign cinema has no restrictions at all, is less than a block away. Um, probably the most personal one to me, um, El Techo is allowed to operate until 11.30, seven days a week. Um, it's personal to me because I met my husband there on a Friday night, um, and I can promise you I would not have had the courage to approach him had I been kicked out before 10 p.m. Um, you know, I think that some of the opposition that you will hear is about noise. Um, and I would make the strong case, or I believe strongly that we are a deterrent um, to some of the problematic things that are happening on Cap Street and in the parking lot that I feel that we're unfairly, unfairly being blamed for. Um, the Venn diagram of casements customers to people hanging out in that parking lot doesn't really overlap. Um, there's always people hanging out there drinking, blasting music out of their stereos. There's always a party in the park there at the corner of 20th and Cap. Um, excuse me. Um, 
coming down there last night, there was a group of six people outside drinking on the streets, got chased by someone who was mentally ill or on drugs, yelling and screaming at my car as I drove past just last night at nine o'clock. Um, so there's a lot of things happening back there and I think they were really a deterrent to um, that and I think the reason you have 50 letters of support is because we are a deterrent. Um, we have security seven days a week. We actively work with the parking lot to make sure that it's as clean as possible, although I know it could be cleaner. Um, we've spent an incredible amount of money trying to keep it clean. We work with them to keep lights on. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, if we were to close or if we were to lose that parking lot, you're gonna see some of the blight issues that are already encroaching and very real on that section of Mission Street um, increase. Um, so that's all I have for comment. Thank you. With that, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, uh, please come forward. Two. Through Thank the you, chair, you each have two minutes. I'm also an owner as well. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. If you're an owner, then you're part of the project sponsor team okay. and should have had your presentation with that time. Um, good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Rachel Ryan. I co-own and manage the Stud Bar, and I'm here to voice my support for casements in regards to their out outdoor space and their hours of use. When the Stud closed due to COVID in March of 2020, we lost a space where so many people in our community felt at home. Through the devastation of watching so many other beloved institutions shut down or struggle to stay afloat, it was such an inspiration to see the way that the team at Casements pivoted their business model to survive the shutdown. The back patio at Casements became a refuge for so many, one of the only places our neighborhood, in our neighborhood to go out and see your friends. And since then, the patio has continued to be such a special spot. As a bar owner myself, I know all too well that while we try to maximize business across all hours of operation with happy hour deals and free entry before a certain time, the reality is that we do most of our sales after 10 p.m. Losing use of the patio during these crucial hours will greatly impact their business. And at a time when so many bars and restaurants are struggling to succeed in San Francisco, I urge you to help casements continue to thrive. Thank you. Good afternoon, my name is Monique Morrow. I have lived on Cap and Twentieth for 60 years plus. I belong to the Cap Beautification Group. We have finally accomplished that we don't have the noise of prostitution and traffic by getting together as neighbors. And then what happens? Live music. I have no objection to the restaurant. I have no objection to the patio, but the live music prevents me from opening my balcony door or a window or having a conversation with friends. It is so loud that sometimes, depending on the type of music, the building where I live in seems to shake with the drums and the percussion instruments. I have had not a single night when the music plays that it doesn't affect my quality of life and my neighbor's quality of life. I have gone to the restaurant very politely, I'm a very calm person basically, and ask, is there anybody I can speak to to please turn it down on that specific night when it was particularly loud? I have been treated totally disrespectful, totally rude. They turned their back on me and said, there's nothing we can do, and left me standing there, 
not knowing what to do. All I asked is a name, a phone number, something that I could talk to. This is intolerable, absolutely intolerable. We finally have a quiet street. And this, I only object to the music part. No live music, especially not after 10 o'clock, and no really loud music with a lot of drunken yelling and screaming in the little patio. It echoes across the parking lot. Please don't approve any extension or any live music for this establishment. Thank you. Hello, good afternoon, commissioners. I'm Kat, a long-term LGBTQ plus resident, property owner and small business owner in the intermission for over 22 years. I speak with a deep sense of connection to our diverse community and a shared commitment to the well-being of our neighborhood. I'm here to get to the point and strongly advocate for the Planning Commission's recommendation to limit Casement's outdoor activity area operational hours to 10 p.m. every night. Since its inception in December 2020 under the Shared Spaces Program, which I wholeheartedly supported for all struggling businesses across the country for its obvious reasons, However, Casements has taken full advantage of our community's support while disregarding our repeated concerns with an overwhelming volume of patio noise after 10 p.m. As a permanent outdoor entertainment space within the proximity of our homes, it has already caused a significant decline in our quality of life and inevitably, inevitably our property value. The noise is so intense that it permeates through my double pane storm windows, making it impossible to sleep at night. Our residential peace is constantly disrupted by their insensitivity. All neighboring mission bars and restaurants such as Bender's, Dr. Teeth, and Lost Resort have been responsible by strictly following a 10 p.m. outdoor noise curfew, a standard casement seems unwilling to respect. Their requests for extended hours to 11 p.m. during the week and then midnight on the weekend are clear indications of their disregard for the welfare of us neighbors. The lack of four enclosed walls allows noise to spill well beyond casements confines and the shared echoing 45-foot tunnel with the adjacent parking lot only amplifies the problem. This has led to an open invitation for additional partygoers to gather in the parking lot, play loud music constant, consistently every night, and leave behind endless amounts of trash, which was never an issue before. As a member of the Cap Street Beautification Committee and the Alioto Park Revival Task Force, it's time to prioritize the peace and well-being of the residents who have invested in the community for years. We need the city's support to restore the balance that our neighborhood deserves. Thank you for attention, time, and consideration. Thank you so much. Good afternoon. I'm Kearney, a proud SF resident and Mission property owner for over 25 years. I'm here to back the Planning Commission's draft motion to strictly cap Casement's outdoor activity area to 10 p.m. nightly. My love for the city comes with mixed, a mix of pride, frustration, and hope, as I share the impact of Casement's soon-to-be-permanent outdoor space on nearby residents. The sudden decline of chaos began when Casements was granted temporary, a temporary permit under shared spaces during COVID-19 emergency in 2020. We fully support the creation of Casements safe outdoor space, but things quickly devolved into late night drunken gatherings at and around this place where the owners showed little regard for us neighbors. It got worse when the groups of disrespectful people took advantage of the outdoor energy and turned the 31,396 square foot open air parking lot into a zone of uncivil, unsafe behavior, loitering, littering, public urination, drug use, and worse, which the owner admits to and sees and experiences. 
After 20, 25 years of living in the mission near the lot, I had no doubt that casements, 1,777 square feet of outdoor activity space has contributed to the existing problems and made it far worse. Numerous complaints have gone unnoticed. Furthermore, it's crucial to take into account the inaction and negligence of the parking lot owners who also happen to own Casement's outdoor patio footprint. This relationship presents a clear conflict of interest when it comes to either of the businesses taking meaningful measures to deter the, and ensure the safety and cleanliness of Casement's. I urge the Planning Commission to enforce the recommended 10 p.m. hard stop of outdoor activities of the patio to help rein in the chaos. Thank you. Hello. My name is Jennifer and I'm an active community member and resident of the mission for over 18 years. I understand the importance of having a safe space for community to gather, socialize, build and maintain relationships. However, should the approval with all the conditions be approved, we are asking that the outdoor activity area is closed at 10 p.m. nightly, condition number 20 on exhibit A. Since the patio has been open over the course of the last three to four years, we have not had success in getting the bar to limit the noise to 10 p.m. even now. Phone calls to the bar have gone unanswered, and when they are answered, they act like they cannot hear me. We've also been told by our neighbors that a common response that there is no manager on site. Since calls to the bar were ineffective, we tried calling the non-emergency police department. If and when they take the call, many times it does not get addressed in a timely manner or even addressed at all. As for the proposal from the planning department and the entertainment commission permit, we've only heard about or been communicated with one letter from the department and one letter from casements respectively. This is the only communication we have received as neighbors. In this proposal, it states that the department has received letters of support and opposition. This outdoor activity in the middle of the parking lot spans across a perimeter of three blocks, Cap 20th and Mission. Having 24 letters of support from nearby residences is not an appropriate representation of the surrounding neighbors. In fact, it's a small sampling at best. Aside from the one letter from the planning department, no one from casements reached out to the, any of the neighbors that I spoke to on Cap Street. In addition to this parking lot, the noise travels and becomes, um, a it's becomes echoey in the tunnel. This ripple effect to this is that is an invitation to others to gather, drink, and play loud music in the parking lot. Since the patrons in the bar are not asked to keep it down or even move inside, the noise just keeps layering on top of each other. No one is accountable, and again, no follow-up on complaints. If this bar is claiming to be part of the community, then perhaps outreach to the community should be a stronger focus. The Thank bar is you, unable to keep the noise down as it is. Thank you. Next, please. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Vince Chrysostomo, and um, I am a resident of San Francisco. Um, I work for nonprofits, and I'm affiliated with several organizations that um, have activities in the mission. And I'm here to express my support for casements. Um, they have, we have hosted a number of events there. We have, have a fairly large group for one of the, or, the organizations that I work for. And we actually have been asked when we have booked events to be quiet and be respectful of their neighbors. So I just want to put that out there. They've made every effort to ask us of that. Um, it has become a place where, um, because of where it's located, 
Um, it's easy to access. It's accessible transportation for our older clients. It's a place they'd look forward to. We had two holiday events there. They were very, it was very respectful. We plan to use them in the future. And so we would like to um, speak out in support of casements and their venue, <clears throat> excuse me. And you know, the other thing is that in San Francisco right now, there's few open air spaces where you can go and sit, particularly elders. And this is a place where people feel comfortable to gather. Um, we've managed to even draw new members to some of our activities going there. And many of my um, participants do live in the neighborhood. Um, they wouldn't come out to do um, testimony today, but I just wanted to also, they also would support this as well. Thank you. Hi, my name is Felicia Lester, and I'm a physician at UCSF. I live on Cap Street, and I have two children, um, and I live with my partner there. Um, my kids are six and four. Um, I'm here to strongly urge you to make sure that we cap the time at 10 p.m. We have so many neighbors in the area with children and, and adults who work early. My partner is in the elevator union. I was glad to see one of his buddies here earlier and wakes up at 4.30 in the morning. And almost, I, I can't say the percentage, but an extremely large percentage of the residents on our block work in construction and wake up extremely early to do that. And there are many children there too, and San Francisco schools, many of them start at 7.50. So we're out the door by 7.20 trying to get our kids to school, so the kids are up at six. Um, what I, I, I feel like this is a situation where can't we all be brothers? I mean, we all support businesses like casements. We are all sad when businesses like casements close. We want businesses like casements in our neighborhood, but we want them to be respectful of the neighbors that are affected by their activities. I love that there's nonprofits that have, that have um, events there, and probably that's when Monique loves the music, and I love the music. I go out in my yard, there's some great jazz playing, but we can't have the heavy metal, the big drums or whatever it is go on till 10 p.m. and then to ask for that kind of music to go on beyond is really unacceptable. When people like Monique walk across the street to ask for there to be quiet, that should be respected. I mean, we respect their right to exist and we hope that they can come together to recognize that this is a residential neighborhood <clears throat> with folks who wake up early, with kids or with people who work in the construction field and need to sleep. Thank you, ma'am. So we can all support each other. That is your time. Last call for public comment. Seeing no additional request to speak, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you, commissioners. Uh, let me start with uh, saying uh, thank you for everybody who came out. I think it's extremely important for us to hear the neighbors speak because if you just look at the aerial and you have not been to the site, I have myself have not visited Casement, although it seems to have a lot of support and seems to be a good place, one does not understand that in typical San Francisco fashion, this is indeed a multi-use district. And whenever we come to a critical juncture speaking to you, uh, we always have to listen to the neighbors. I myself live in a neighborhood where there is a restaurant but for at least the last 10, 20 years, that restaurant respect to, respectfully without outdoor dining 
closes at 10 p.m. sharp. And till 10 p.m., people still walk the streets with their dogs, say hello to the patrons, say hello to the operators. We all know it. And we accept a certain amount of residual noise at night, but after 10, it has to be quiet. And for that reason, uh, I support uh, the department's recommendation. I support your request uh, for operating the outer space, but only with the modifications suggested by the, uh, by, by the planning department. Uh, and further to that, I would like to add that we add one additional condition. Uh, there was clear evidence that the operator has not responded to have an on-site coordinator, a number by which people can reasonably voice their concerns. And if the music is so loud that you know that the person has to have an answer. So I would like to ask, to add, that, that the commission makes a request to add an on-site coordinator, a number that the community knows, and there will be somebody answering in a polite and respective manner when somebody calls. Those will be my comments. I would ask uh, Commissioner Imperial uh, for, her, for her thoughts. Thank you, Vice President Moore. Um, as I'm looking into this um, in this project, um, you know, there's an entertainment commission um, granted event that is um, you know for the whole year that is up to 10 p.m. So I am, in terms of like um, the way I see it, that I think it's appropriate to also align it with that permit up to 10 p.m. And I see the, I think the, um, the logic with the planning staff department. I support that too. Um, and also, it seems like the that the project sponsor is intending to seek place of entertainment that is both indoors and outdoors on an ongoing basis. So in that case, for me, the way I see it is that you know there's going to be an amplified music throughout. However, we're limiting the outdoor activity to 10 p.m. And that is in, um, and again, um, I, you know, I share the sentiment of Vice President Moore as I also uh, live in a building and, um, where close um, nearby um, bars and usually you can even, you know, you can hear some of the, the vibe. Um, um, but in, in this case, I think I know that in this area, it's a very active area. Um, I think I've been in the case bar, uh, casements bar too. Um, I, along those, I know I've, I've gone through bar hopping at some point. Um, and, and yes, um, and I do appreciate the act, having an outdoor <coughs> spaces actually for the restaurants. Um, but I think in this city, I'm always, you know, we always want to balance, or at least I'd like to balance the effect of, um, of loud noises toward the residents area. So I am support of limiting it to 10 p.m. for outdoor activity, and I think part of the conditions as well already is enclosed to have a community liaison officer that the project sponsor will have to um, bring to the department. So. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Brown. Uh, I just have questions for staff so I can better understand sort of, I mean, this is conditional, conditional use authorization. We can set the conditions, but, but um, what are sort of the precedents or typical practices that we've had in a similar context for hours of operation for a space like this? Yeah, the, this is the standard recommended operating hours whenever the outdoor activity is, is close to residential uses. 
Um, there was a case before you, I want to say last fall or winter for uh, another restaurant down the street that we limited to 10 p.m. as well. Um, I don't know how to pronounce that restaurant's name, but it starts with a P. And that's what we went with then. Um, so all, the, all the more recent authorizations we've done for these outdoor spaces have really been limited to 10. And thank you for that. And also, uh, in terms of the idea of having a liaison on site, I'm definitely in favor of the spirit of the requirement, but at the same time, I'm also kind of wondering in practical implementation when a bar is very busy or a restaurant's very busy at night of how on-call access will work and maybe it's a matter of quick response but not necessarily pick up the phone right away but either way I have we do you are you familiar with whether we've imposed a requirement like that for some of these outdoor space operations recently we have not we have not had that as a standard condition generally uh, the standard condition is to have a, a contact that we can provide you know a, a project contact um, I'm trying to recall, I do believe that we did have one where it was required that they, there was a request to post the contact information, but I don't think we had anything that required staff to actually be present on site, or at least to my recollection. Correct, yeah, I, I'm not familiar with any, I, I think it is important to take a look at the, it's condition of approval number 16 on page 18 of your staff report. And in addition to the project sponsor needing to provide both neighborhood groups um, and any interested party, so I'd say all the folks who are here should um, request this information, it's, you know, name, uh, it's, a cell phone number effectively of somebody who can be on demand to respond to any issues which i think is should be even more convenient than having to leave your home and you know go down to the bar in person and i agree with you if the bar is busy that might be a sort of a chaotic um environment to try to find somebody but the the last sentence in there which i do think is also really critical is that the community liaison is supposed to report back to the zoning administrator what issues if any are of concern to the community and what issues have not been resolved by the project sponsor. And so they're required, if they can't solve the problem immediately, which turning down the music would just resolve it, but if for some reason that is not feasible, they're actually required under this condition of approval to, re to report that to the ZA. Um, so I think as drafted, it likely um, solves the concerns that you have, but I would also suggest to the folks in the um, audience who are interested to make sure they reach out to the staff planner, Maggie, here to make sure that they get a copy of all of that contact information that's required to be um, provided to the department. Good, thank you. Thank you. Does that satisfy the spirit of where you're going, Commissioner Moore Absolutely. and Imperial? Yes, okay. I was really more reacting to no community liaison being identified, mm -hmm. people calling and being basically not having any ability to voice their concerns. So, yes. Okay, great. And, and as far as my, my thoughts on the hours of operation go, so 10 p.m. is a pretty, as we've heard, a pretty standard cutoff um, for operating these outdoor spaces in these kinds of contexts. Uh, as with my fellow commissioners, I have plenty of experience living in nightlife-heavy areas, the core of the Castro for a long time, and one expects to have a lot of noise and just um, you know a lot going on, a lot of activity late at night when in those um, kinds of locations. But you know, most of the bars around me they all um, closed outdoor spaces at 10 p.m. Um, and certainly it was it was uh, I felt it was a very respectful and reasonable balance to be struck um, that enabled the residents um, to, to have some peace at night, especially given that in this setting, there is a residential hotel that is directly above where the outdoor space is located, and those are some of our most vulnerable neighbors, and 
you know, I, I want to make sure that we're also respecting them, even if they're not in the room today. So uh, I am comfortable with uh, approval with uh, staff recommendations. And so I would make a motion to approve uh, with the recommended hours of operations from staff. Thank Second. Uh, we call to question. Oh, I thought I saw yeah. Commissioner Koppel. There was somebody else on, but I think his questions were answered. Very good, commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to approve with conditions on that motion. Commissioner Braun? Aye. Commissioner Ruiz? Aye. Commissioner Imperial? Aye. Commissioner Koppel? Aye. And Commissioner Chair Moore? Aye. So move, commissioners, that motion passes unanimously 5 to 0 and concludes your hearing today.